Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. Welcome to the Daily Jungle. Clones, we are live in Minneapolis for Super Bowl week, which means we've got a week packed full of interviews from Radio Row leading up to a live show on Super Bowl Sunday from Target Field. This is one of the biggest weeks of the year in the jungle, and if you can't listen on the radio or peep the simulcast, we've got you covered. The Daily Jungle from Minneapolis starts right now. Angelo Williams, my first guest on a Tuesday. Angelo, what's up, man? How are you? Man, you made me sound so good, man. Dude, I do that for people. I, I, I didn't even like know that that. That, was, that was even me, man. I didn't know who you were talking to. I was waiting on the guy to come up the steps. My man, by the time I'm done, you'll be Jim Brown. <laughs> See no, that. No disrespect. Hey, listen, be, let, as long as we're being real, and you and I yes. have always been real, yes. what was the first thing you said to me when you sat down before we got on the air? I said that, Jim Brown, man, you look like a 70s adult film uh, superstar. My man, that sounds like you're saying that I should be in porn. Uh, no, I'm not saying that. I'm saying You'd that be you, right. you, You'd be you, right. But. Yeah, you look like you could star in one of those films and make a great, a great living. Let me tell you something, my man. <laughs> There's going to come a point in time where I probably will do that. Yes. Not until they tell me to go. But my favorite part about that whole thing was I said to D'Angelo, you think I look like a porn yes. adult film star? Wait till you get a load of my EP, Adam Hawk, and the porn stash he's rocking. Yes, uh, and I saw that. I'm like, that is a look at the stash. Yes, 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 yes. Uh, yeah. But so I should you, be important. Yeah, he's he's the star, and then that's the co-star. All right. Anyway, D'Angelo, great seeing you. Have a great life. All right. <laughs> Listen, we only hire like that. If you don't look like you can play the part, you can't work for me. So obviously, uh, okay. you can. All right. So let me ask you something. You posted a video where you were reaching out to Kenyon Barner and Vinnie Curry, the Eagles, to congratulate them on reaching the Super Bowl, and then you hit them up for 14 tickets. I know it was done as a joke, but how often does that happen to a player where people you have not heard from for a long time all of a sudden show up and they're looking for a stack of tickets? Well, it, it, it comes down to this, man. Everybody want to be tied or associated with success. So when you make it to Super Bowls or you make it to the NFL, like people always try to put a dollar amount on what they did for you back in the days that had no value associated with it. It was just an the kindness of their heart then, but they try to put a, a, a dollar figure on it. Like, hey, man, I've never asked you for anything. Well, in fact, you have. It's just that you're asking me for something that's bigger than what you asked me for earlier, whether it be friends, whether it be family members, and then they have friends and so their friends always tell them what they should expect out of them being associated with you like man if that was my friend man he give me this and he give me that so it put added pressure on them and they just they they always try to uh uh put themselves in terms of you know one tickets like i said it was a joke but they, they want to put themselves in that position. See, what you're talking about is something different, right? I mean, you're a player yes. hitting up a player for tickets, yeah. and you're kind of kidding. Right. But there's something serious here, right? So if you're coming up, and tell me if you had any of this. When you're coming up, there are a lot of people that help you. There's a lot of people yes, in the yes. neighborhood that would say, hey, listen, man, we helped you get to where you are. Therefore, we deserve some of this. Does that go on, and is it, it tough to say it, no? It, it does. It does go on all the time, but what, what people don't understand is, like, you didn't help me get to where I am today in terms of playing football. You helped me in being a better human being in terms of who I am today. Mm-hmm. Not Don't try to associate you helping me with me playing football. Like, you helping me walk or you helping me talk or you help change my diaper does not equate to me being a good football player and making money from that standpoint. 
you picking me up from school or taking me to school or helping me with my homework does not associate you helping me be a great football player. You help me be a great person or a great human being or educated human being, but it does not help me when it comes to playing football. You wasn't helping me get to practice or watching me practice. There's people out there. So, so who are we talking about? Are we talking about neighbors? Are we talking about extended I mean, I'm, family? I'm, I'm talking about anybody that want to associate themselves or try to make not necessarily latch associate on to themselves. you. Not, not necessarily latch on to you because people have friends and they want to be bigger than what they are. Yep. Basically is what it boils down to. And they have friends and they want to flex in front of their friends or or tell their friends like, hey, you know, that's my cousin or that's my friend. You know, I'm going to go to the Super Bowl and they put the cart before the horse and then they put themselves in a situation and say, hey, so what, do you, what do you do about that? I mean- easy. You just say no. You just say no. It was a joke. It was a joke because I wanted people that don't go through the stuff that we go through on a daily basis to understand what it feels like, because there'll be a person that will hit you up that you hadn't talked to in years. In years, you make it to the Super Bowl, like, hey, man. Do you man. call them on that? Say, hey, wait a oh, Absolutely. Wait, I haven't talked absolutely, to you in eight years. Jim. Why, yeah. you coming, why are you coming around yeah. now? Jim, don't act like when you got this job and you first started off, you didn't have people coming out of the woodworks after you made it big. Like, hey, man, you know. Uh, Honestly, not very many. Not really? very many, because I'm not that big of a deal. I mean, obviously, people think that I should be in porn, but... <laughs> This is a real deal. I can remember way back in the day, I had a great conversation with a former baseball player named Eric Davis. Eric Davis was a great player and a great athlete, but he he made the point that you don't want to forget where you're from or who you grew up with, but at the same time, he doesn't know necessarily what all these people have been doing since he went on. So his whole thing is if you are who you roll with and I don't know what you're doing, I don't know what you're going to bring around me. I've been very careful and made good choices and good decisions. But it's not always that easy. No, it's not. It's not always that easy because anybody you hang around with, they're gonna automatically associate you with them. Right. Uh, you see, when guys get in trouble all the time, it's not necessarily them. It's somebody in their party because they don't have the name as the guy that plays the football or the guy that plays the basketball or the guy that's the professional sports athlete. Like if somebody in your crew was to do something, they're gonna say, "Hey, this guy it's and like Jim." On me. Right. 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 So you pick who you roll with and you pick yes. where you go and you make good right. decisions. D'Angelo Williams joining me on the set. All right. So put on your NFL analyst hat for a minute what are you looking to see from the pats in philadelphia on sunday uh i'm hoping it's a defensive effort i i want to see uh the philadelphia eagles come out and put a cap on tom brady's uh his passing they do a lot out of the backfield uh that's one of the things that the jaguars couldn't equate to or or couldn't stop was the fact that white and the other running back was coming out of the backfield and they was hitting a little check down passes then it forces those linebackers to step up, and then they're hitting Gronk across the middle or hitting wide receivers across the middle because it opened up. So I'm hoping Philly got a, a, a way of stopping that with their front four. I tell people all the time, dude, this is like the identical matchup, man, to the Giants when they won that Super Bowl with their front four and New England come in undefeated because everybody's New England heavy, but I think Philly has enough. You know, it just all comes down to which Nick Foles we're going to get. We're going to get gonna, Dr. Exactly, Jekyll right. or we're going to get Mr. Hyde. Are we going to get the Nick Foles that played in the NFC Championship game or are we going to get the Nick Foles that Foles? Right. Now, and listen, when, you, when you talk about the Giants and how they beat the Patriots, you're exactly right. They got pressure on Brady. With the front four. With the front four. With yes. the front four. However, they also had an in-his-prime Eli Manning. Not to be confused with Nick Foles. So what do you think? How much do they need from Nick Foles? They've got a great defense. Front four is great. They're good on the back end. How much does Philadelphia need from Nick Foles to win this game? Well, I I want Nick to do his job. That's it. And that's another thing that I want to talk about with New England that I like about New England 
is their mantra and do your job. A lot of people don't understand that, and I'm going to try to do my best to explain it. 31 other coaches outside of Bill Belichick says, hey, we need somebody to make a play. Go out and make a play. So that's playing beyond your job. We need you to go out, and we need you to make a play. So making a play means, like, coming off that receiver late, trying to pick up another receiver, taking chances. When Bill Belichick's defense and his offense, doing your job is simply doing your job. If your job is to funnel that man to the inside, then you funnel him to the inside because it's somebody else's job to make that tackle. And that's what I appreciate about the, the, the coaching aspects of Bill Belichick because in doing your job, you're going to make plays. So what is so different about him saying do your job than any of the other 30-plus coaches that because, tell their players do your job? Because you, you got In a guy. matchup. Yeah, well, you got a guy like uh, I, I'll, I'll take Von Miller, for instance. Like Von Miller, they tell him, hey, get to the quarterback. Whatever it is you need to do, you get to the quarterback. That is your job. Well, in that defense within the New England Patriots, do your job doesn't necessarily mean get to the quarterback. On passing downs, you get to the quarterback. But on first and second down, you read your keys, you keep your outside shoulder free. Well, with Von Miller, it's a different story. Hey, I don't want you to keep your outside shoulder free. You just get to the quarterback. But in getting to the quarterback, you give up that outside shoulder. Now that's a longer run. That's a longer pass because you didn't get to the quarterback and you didn't make that play. Right, right. So it's, it's, a different, it's a different way of coaching, and I think a lot of people, because it's a copycat league, are going to go to the do your job. Hey, stay in the gap. So, you know, you look at the uh, New England Patriots defense, every, every one of those guys have been highlighted because depending on what the game plan is, they come up and they do their job. Like Stephon Gilmore. You know he was, it's a really interesting defense, though, isn't it? Because they give up a lot of yards. They give up, they a, give lot up a lot of yards. Of yards. Yeah. The Daily Jungle is brought to you by Kalo. Kalo Rings, now one of our sponsors. They're made from silicone, and they are perfect for when you can't wear your traditional wedding rings. I see athletes, military members, and construction workers, even mechanics, all wearing them. You can find one in every color, and they have them both for men and for women. Find them at Dick Sporting Goods, Bass Pro Shops, Academy Sports, or online at Kalo.com. That's Q-A-L-O.com. That's Kalo. Now it's back to our Daily Jungle. But they're the epitome of Ben, but don't break because they toughen up and they steal themselves when they get inside the red zone. If you and don't, they don't stop, give up stop a lot it, of Jim. Stop, stop it, Jim. Stop it. What's stop up? It. When, you got a, when you got a New England Patriots offense the way that they've been clicking, yeah. if you don't score touchdowns, you're going to get beat. Right. So when you say that they don't give up a lot of touchdowns, you got to think about that juggernaut that they have on the other side of well, the yeah, offense. I mean, it helps, right? It uh, helps. Uh, but the yeah. fact of the matter is the defense, so what I'm saying is, man, they give up chunks of yardage, but they're good in the red zone, that defense. New Orleans Saints, when they won the Super Bowl that uh-huh. year, they had no defense. None. 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 But that offense was so high-powered that if you didn't score on every possession, you'd get beat by the a Saints, lot. The Saints did make big plays, but they gave up quite a bit defensively. Yes. Right, so listen, as a player, looking at Tom Brady, this guy's 40 now, yeah, right? Yeah, he is. I mean, 40's the new 30 if you look at Brady. No, what no, you 40 make? still 40. Okay, 40 yeah, is still 40, still 40, right? 40 yeah. <laughs> he doesn't think so. He doesn't approach it that way. Yeah. That's a good point, though. 40 is still 40. No, in my <laughs> case, 40's the new 60, all right, in yeah, my case. There we go. But, but in terms of Brady, as a guy who played the game at the highest level, what do you think when you see him doing what he's doing at 40? I, I don't like him. I, I don't like him because uh, he cost me a Super Bowl appearance in the AFC Championship game last year when he ended up beating the the Atlanta Falcons, but he's been good for a very long time. And 
when you're good, you, you develop enemies. You, you form enemies. In the 80s, the 49ers, everybody hated the 49ers. In the 90s, everybody hated the Cowboys. And in the 2000s, everybody hated New England. If you're not a New England fan, you just don't like New England because they're a really good football club. You got to go in and you got to execute and you got to play well all four quarters as Atlanta Falcons saw because if you don't, then they'll come back and they'll beat you. D'Angelo, you said something interesting re- recently that I want to ask you about. You mentioned the Niners of the 80s. You were a Niners guy growing I, I'm up. A, I'm a still a Niners fan, You're man. still a Niners still fan. Still a Niners and fan. And the key word there is you're still a fan. You're a fan. Yes. Is it true? Last year when you were thinking about playing again, did you really say, I can't play for the Cowboys? That's one of the 100%. four teams I cannot play for. I, and I said I Why? couldn't play because I'm a 49ers fan, man. Like in the 80s, dude, dude that you're was an NFLer. It, it does not matter, Are you man. not it's an NFLer first and then a fan? I gotta, you got to draw the line somewhere, Jim. There's some things that you will not do. You probably can't discuss them on TV right now, but there's some things that you will not do. That's one thing I can and will not do is play or cheer on the Cowboys. I just don't like them. Their fans are annoying. The team colors are annoying. Like, it's just there's nothing about them that I like. It's just it's just, it's just annoying. The colors are annoying. Listen, I respect, I respect it, but like anybody else, don't you go where the work is? I mean, literally, if the Cowboys yeah, say, I go where the work you're is, the guy, no, we need no. you. The answer the ca- is no. No, the, ca- the Cowboys can't say that's where the work is. I, that's just not me. I just can't do it. You can't. You I, could I just not can't play do it. My fandom for the 49ers, well, everybody in my house were Cowboy fans. I was the only 49er fan, and I got teased a lot in the 90s. Like, I, I kicked butt in the 80s. Like, I was the dude in the 80s. But then in the 90s, when that power shifted over to Troy Aikman and Moose and Edmund Smith and Michael Irvin, and, yeah, and all them guys. And then, you know, I was mad at Deion Sanders for a long time because he went from the 49ers to the Cowboys. And I'm like, how could you do me like that? Like, I thought we was boys. And I had never met him a day in my life. Dude, I mean, that's a case in point. He played for the 49ers. He <laughs> yeah. did it, all right? But you can't do it. You, no, I just can't. you said the fans annoy you. Yes. How are their fans different than any other fan base? Because they always talk about what they did in the 90s. It's 2018. You hadn't won a playoff game in 19 years or 20. How long has it been? Somebody looked that up. They hadn't won a play, and they and their mantra is, "Man, we're gonna be great. We're gonna win the Super Bowl next year. We're gonna win the Super Bowl next year. We're gonna win the Super Bowl next year." But they always have excuses, man. The the NFL is picking on us like this year. They, they suspended Elliott for six games, man. We, that was our Super Bowl run right there, like last the year before when. When uh, Des Bryant, was it a catch or was it a no catch? Like, come on, man, you guys lost. Like, just accept that and let's just move on. You mentioned Des Bryant. All of a sudden, there's speculation about what they may or may not do with him. When you look at Des, and there's a little bit of baggage there. He's had some issues. Is he worth the trouble? <sighs> That's a tough one. I, I, I don't think he – I think his name and what he did when he was younger is uh, looms high over his head now than it ever has because he was making plays then and nobody ever was like, ah, yeah, he gets in trouble, that's just him, it's okay. But now his production doesn't equal up to the, the antics that he do off the field. So now they're just like, hey, we got to find out a way to do it. I always thought Des Bryant was a faster Keyshawn Johnson. I, I've always thought that. Like, he was a big possession receiver with a little bit of speed, and he is had he, great is, body control. But is he no longer the player that he was? Has he lost nah, we. I, I don't know what he's lost. That's the thing because, I mean, Dak Prescott this year wasn't as accurate as he has in the past because they took a lot of that play action away from him when Ezekiel Elliott was suspended. So getting back into that rhythm of the game was a little bit tough for Dak. 
But, you know, they went 13-3, and three and Dez didn't put up the numbers that he, he, he was supposed to put up or everybody thought he put up, but it was hidden by the 13-3 and three success. My man, you are into wrestling. In fact, yeah. you had an uncle who loved it. You got into it, but you're not only into it, you actually did it. You jumped into the ring at Impact Wrestling Slammiversary 15 last summer. What was the experience like? Well, I, I promised my uncle that I'd, I'd uh, well, I was having a conversation with him, and he, before he died five years ago, and he said, if you ever get an opportunity to wrestle, would you wrestle? And I was like, nah, uh-uh. He was like, for me, because I'd want to see that. I was like, yeah, I'd do it if I get an opportunity. So Josh Matthews, who's with WWE, is now a commentator over at Impact Wrestling. He gave me that opportunity, and I did it for my uncle. I even had it in my shorts. You know, this is dedicated to my uncle. That'll be the only match I ever wrestle because it was for him. And, like, I was very emotional before and after the match because I did it for him, and I know that he saw it. Like even more so than any game that it, you've been a part of? More than any game that I've been a part of, any of that, man. I, like, I, I sing the national anthem because I lost my mom. I sing the national anthem because my mom, when she would come to games, I'm trying not to get emotional. When she came to games, she would sing every national anthem. So I would sing those uh, during my playing days. You know, you mentioned your mom. You wrote a piece for Sports Illustrated a few years back, and it was very moving. And the stories you shared included your final conversations with her. You wrote down what you wanted to say to her, and she cut you off and said, quote, this is what I want you to remember me by. None of your aunties made it to the age of 50. Today I'm 53. I've stolen a few years and have enjoyed every minute, especially thanks to those two incredible granddaughters you've given me. You and your sisters are safe and know how to maintain and live and survive. My job here is done. My man, I read that. That chokes me up. Yeah. How do you, how do you feel when you hear that? Well, that's how my mom was. Like, she wasn't, she wasn't one of those that was going to spoon feed us. She was going to teach us how to get the spoon and feed ourselves. And that's why when she said uh, at the end of her days that, hey, you know, I, I beat this. I live past 50. That's all I wanted to do. She said if I didn't, if I didn't pass of cancer, I was going to live forever. And she said it was just a matter of time, but she wanted to show me and show us, her kids, the resiliency of keep fighting and keep trying and never giving up. She was like, I stole three years. Can I tell you something? What she said when she said, I stole three years or I got extra time, it reminds me of my own father. He had cancer. He died at 59. And before he went, he made it very clear that, hey, I'm good. I'm good. I lived an amazing life. I far exceeded any of my expectations. And I've always thought to myself, how can you be good leaving at 59 man that's right. so young but it sounds like your mom felt the same way she, she, she lived a complete the, life she felt the exact exact same way and it really changed my perception of how i view things and how i continue through everyday life because once my mom passed man like she was laying there because she passed at the house and i had no idea what to do and everybody was looking at me and i had no idea what to do i was like so what happens next and everybody was like, we don't know. We're waiting on you. So I immediately stepped into that role and took care of everything. And I found out then, like, the most profound thing. People talk about it all the time. But until you experience it, and you may understand what I'm talking about, my entire world stopped. But everybody else world kept going. So everybody that I directly didn't affect or indirectly didn't affect, it didn't matter to them. It was just everybody was kind of going through the motions. Sorry for your loss. Sorry for your condolences. Because people don't know what to say. By the way, they may have even meant it, and I'm sure they did. Right. But then once they say that, they move on. The world keeps spinning. Yes. But you're left with that loss, and you've got to process that. Right. And you've got to process it. And I tell a lot of people, too, because a lot of people try to separate us from our money. 
sometimes you want that financial buffer that you otherwise don't have when you're financially stable. And I'll give you a case in point. When my parents died, like I mean, my mother died, I was like, I was like, I, I don't even know how to explain it, man. I, I couldn't, I couldn't say anything. Like grief was just over me. I, I didn't have a financial buffer. To the difference of if somebody parent died that couldn't pay for it, they have that buffer of, well, how am I going to pay for this? Okay, uh, where am I going to get the money from? And by the time they figure all that out, the funeral's already passed. And so they get that grieving process later, and it's not as punctual as it is when it happens right, right. now. Right. So I'm sitting here, and I, I can't believe what it is that's going on right now. And everybody's looking at you. Right, everybody's looking at me. And so at that point, it didn't matter how successful I was, how much money I had, what color I was, if I was a male or a female. It didn't matter because death takes everyone. Right. So I was sitting there and I was just like, and at this time I'm 31, 32, and I'm trying to figure it out. There's there's people in there that's 50, 60 years old. There's that no playbook. There's, there's no, no playbook. playbook. There's none at all. There's right. none at all. And it was it was tough, but, you know, it gets easier or it gets better. It doesn't get easier. My point is, you never get over it. You learn to get through it. No, and every time I talk about it, knows this. Yes, and every time I talk about it, I get emotional. Good. Yeah, it's good because that's how important she was to you. Yes, and what a remarkable woman. Listen, before you go, I just want to go back to wrestling for one second. You're a big wrestling fan. Ronda Rousey made her wrestling debut. What did you think when you saw her walk up? I timing was awful, man. You just had a 30 woman battle royal, first in the history. Of wrestling. And by the way, how'd uh, that go for you? Did that uh, seemed I, I loved it. You? Oh, okay. it was legit, man. Their timing was off a little bit, but you got to expect that because there was older wrestlers me- meshing with the new generation wrestlers, and then there was some in between. That's to be expected. But, but what I didn't like is, is Asaka wins it. That she has to choose between Charlotte, and she has to choose between uh, I can't think of the other lady's name. Uh, and so she's about to pick Ronda Rousey comes out and completely diminish the entire 30-woman battle royal. Huh. So she's just going to get a title shot just walking down. the. You could have saved that for Monday night, had her come out and say, hey, you know, I want to challenge Asaka for the title shot. So then you, you would challenge Asaka. Yeah, dude, you know how this goes, right? The stars get calls. The stars get to cut the line. The stars have different sorts of privileges, right? Dude, the stars aren't the highest paid, though. Mm-hmm. The stars have the name. They bring in the social media following or maybe the following of that person. But this is wrestling. Dude, did you they, want her to get in line? There's no way. There's yes. no way she was getting Dude, in line. I don't think you understand. As a wrestling fan, we want to see good wrestling. Right? We don't want to see good storylines. Yep. We want to see good wrestling because we're not going to leave it up create, to creativity because they're not creative enough. Yeah, they Okay, they want the stars, obviously. I, I, I don't have a dog in this fight because I really don't give a damn about wrestling. But, <sighs> but I know that you do. And that you were taken back by how she kind of got I, I was so mad, dude. Right. Is it going to get better, though? It, it has to. she gets in and she does her thing, is it going to be a good thing? It, it, it has to be a good thing, but I don't think she deserves a title shot right off the rip. I think that she should have been the 30th participant in the 30-woman battle royal, or they, they should have stayed something where she could have came in as the 30th, and then it could have been some controversy to where her and Asaka had to fight at WrestleMania. And she'd probably say, you know who the hell I am? Yeah. Do you know who the hell I am? Ronda okay. Rousey. You're only as good as your last fight. You want to talk about that? Yeah, no. I know she doesn't. Yeah, I know okay. she doesn't. I'll huh? talk about it. Didn't happen to me. It, it wasn't my <laughs> face that got rearranged. Although I do. I'm, I'm Team Ronda. I like Ronda. One yeah. last thought. You know James Harrison pretty I well. Do. Really what do you make friends. of that pickup by the Patriots and the way he's fit in already and making big plays? Well, 
it was a it was a job opening open there, and it obviously wasn't one of those things like me where I draw that line in the sand. He was looking for work. I, I completely understand that. That is a great pickup by the New England Patriots. Uh, there's there's a lot of stories that's coming out in Pittsburgh that he missed meetings. He didn't show up for meetings. He left for games. He's going on 40 is that, years is old. Is that true? Does that sound I, I, right I mean, whether it's true or false, my thing is he's going on 40 years old. I don't know what you told him beforehand because he's a straight-up forward person. So once you tell him something, he hold you to that. If you show him anything different, then he's going to show you different. And I'm almost sure that it was a conversation that was had behind closed doors and things changed and they didn't communicate that with Debo or James Harrison and it got lost in the shuffle and him went him going from making all the plays that he made last year to going on the bench not even starting to be inactive right, right at 40 you know what they're telling him like you're not gonna be here next year yeah right you're not gonna be here next year so he took care of himself got it. absolutely last thought do you still like Mike Tomlin in that spot? You know how it is. If guys stay somewhere, I'm not saying he is, but if guys stay in the same place long enough, the message can get stale. Is he still a guy that has the hearts and minds of that team? Stop it, Jim. Stop it. I, I, I want to end this right now because you'd have to say the same thing about Bill Belichick. No. Yes, you do. Well, I, I wouldn't because they're in the Super Bowl. Oh, no, you, you would have to it, say that. You said staying there long. No, no. How many years is this for Bill Belichick? Well, it, it, ha- it happens not to Belichick. I mean, it's Belichick. Oh, uh, now right? it's, on, now it's a difference. Belichick, not, are you? No, I'm comparing the long. You said the tenure, right? I, you I'm said not, you stay somewhere asking, long enough. Look, you, you make it sound like I'm the only guy saying this. There, there is some heat on him right now. I'm just right, asking. Right. You've been there. You know that team. Are you gonna? I mean, what's the answer? He's good. He's fine. It's yeah. Perfect. He's gonna. He's gonna be fine. He just hadn't produced the Super Bowls that he's supposed to produce. But you know, his worst record. His worst record is eight and eight. Yep. That's his worst record. You know who'd love that record? The Cleveland Browns. You know who else would have loved that record? The New York Giants. Uh-huh. Anybody that's under eight and eight as the worst record, and you talking about getting Listen, rid of this look, guy? I want to be real clear about this, D'Angelo. I, I did a whole rant. Last week about you don't fire this guy. You don't fire no, this guy. You don't. I'm just asking yeah. what happens when a guy stays that long. Yeah. Inevitably, do he and they need a fresh start? And you're right. telling me no, he's good. No, no, he's good. He, okay. I'm going to tell you something that Coach Tomlin always says, and it makes a lot of sense. He said, I'm in the business of winning. He said, because the ones that are not in the business of winning are not in the business. <laughs> yes. He is Pete Prisco. Pete, good morning. How are What's you? What's up, Jim? How are you? Good. How about you? How's your week going so far? Great. Great. A little cold. Uh, you know, Florida guy. I'm not used to this. So sub-zero temperatures. Florida guy, California guy. <laughs> That's not our cup of tea, is it's it? All right, though, man. We can get through it for a week. Yeah, absolutely. Not you know, bad. nothing worse than a guy complaining about the weather, right? Can't do it. Can't do it. Nobody wants to hear it. All right, so if we go back to week 14, let me start right there. Philadelphia beats the Rams, but they lose Carson Wentz in the process. If I had told you then it's going to be fine, they're going to go all the way to the Super Bowl, what would you have said? You're crazy. Right? I mean, I sent out a tweet. By the tweet. way, I wouldn't have said that then, but <laughs> yeah, right. if I did. I mean, I sent out a tweet before the playoffs started. I said, everybody in the NFC is happy that the Eagles don't have Carson Wentz because somebody's going to go to the Super Bowl and it's not going to be the Eagles, and I really believe that. Hey, i got to give a lot of credit to Doug Peterson. Bottom line is, he schemed it up against the Falcons for Nick Foles, made it really easy with those run-pass option plays, and then he came back against Minnesota and ambushed him with the long throws. Kind of surprised. I was down at the Pro Bowl last week. Some of those Vikings players said they were surprised by the way they played and the way they threw the ball down the field. Hey, listen, Doug Peterson, there's something about this guy. I think he's a special coach. Ten years ago, this guy's coaching high school football, and now he's coaching in the Super Bowl. Now, to your point about Nick Foles, so which guy is he? Is he going to be that RPO guy this coming weekend, or are they going to let him air it out and take some shots downfield? I think they'll take some shots, but look, here's the bottom line with the Patriots' defense. They are not a great 
uh, team that rushes the passer. So there's going to be opportunities to take those shots down the field. The strength of their defense is in the secondary. The back end is very good, but I think they're vulnerable. You can beat them with some throws. You know, last two weeks ago, Jacksonville got them with some of those uh, misdirection throws and get guys out of the backfield. Little Grant came out of the backfield and caught the ball. I think the Eagles will do some of that. But you know Belichick. He's got two weeks to prepare. He's going to do something different than you don't expect when it comes to the game. I want to say that he doesn't need two weeks to get ready for Nick Foles. But then again, Nick Foles is a big reason why they're here right now. Now, speaking of the coach, you tweeted out a pic of Bill Belichick last night with the caption, the best to ever do it, even if he did botch the end of the Seattle (laughs) Super Bowl. I know this is something that still bothers you, but how much did Belichick get bailed out at the end of the Super Bowl against the Seahawks? Oh, there's no doubt. That time on the clock was his time. And he, he stood there, and then, of course, he did the documentary afterward and said, we looked over and we saw something, so we didn't want to call timeout. Look, the bottom line was, if they score there, the time on the clock was Tom Brady's. You want that time on the clock. He got away with one. Kudos to him, but he botched the end of it. So do you want to hang an asterisk on that? No. He's still the greatest of all time. Okay, I mean, is this, he, is he's he the, the greatest of all time. This is something... We're going to look back on this 25 years from now and say, oh my gosh, this was a special, special time. People get sick of the New England Patriots. Let's face it. But really, eight Super Bowl. For Tom Brady, it's eight and 16 seasons. He didn't play his first year. He played, uh, he missed that season when he got hurt. So he's been to the Super Bowl half of the time he's been in the league. That is absolutely unheard of. The thing is, I mean, they've got nothing to apologize for. You don't apologize for greatness, but there is Patriot fatigue. There's no doubt about that. Now, what about this guy? How much longer do you think he sticks around? Could he be here another five years or more? Or do you feel like maybe he and Brady might be a package deal? I think they'll both stay as long as the other one is there. And I don't think they're going away. I I think Brady's going to play for, you know, last week Patrick Peterson said, told me, I was down at the Pro Bowl, and he said, I didn't think he'd play until 43. I think he can play to 45, like he said. He's going. He's playing at a high level. This isn't Michael Jordan at 39 when he was averaging 20 points a game. This is the MVP of the league. So I think he's going to play about three more years and maybe then walk away, and then I think Belichick walks no, away. No, th- this is not Joe Namath with the Rams, Willie Mays stumbling around in the outfield. This guy's 40. He's about to win the MVP award probably and has looked about as good as he ever has. I wonder, though, what if he doesn't? What if he doesn't play five more years? Do you think there's any sense that Belichick wants to prove I can win without this guy? Do you really think they go out together, or might he stay to try to make that point? If I were Bill, I'd walk away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look, the, as great as a coach as Bill is, I mean, he's wonderful. He isn't winning these titles without Tom Brady. Right. I mean, you might win one over the course of the whole thing. You're not winning two, three, four, and five. I, I'm not saying that Brady is like anybody else because he's not, but think of the guys that Belichick has lost over the years. Not only players, but staffers, and the guy just keeps getting it done, getting it done. As competitive as he is, I just wonder if he might have that chip. Like, all right, Tom, it's been a great run. Now watch me do this thing without you. But he can always go back to the year. Now, they didn't win it all, but when Ka- Matt Castle played, they won 11 games. But but, right. but they didn't win the division even in that, that season. So, I, look, it's a quarterback league. I, I love these two are great together. And what he's done with this roster isn't that impressive. The, I mean, what he's done is impressive. The roster isn't very good. Right. You look at top to bottom of that roster, there's not a lot of talent on there. You have Brady, you have Gronk, and then there's a drop-off. There are guys who will do what he wants them to do, and he looks for those kind of guys. But it's still a talent league. How has he done what he's done with a roster that looks like that? And wouldn't you argue, Philadelphia, if you look at it on paper, they've got the better roster. They've got the better talent. I would agree with you 100%. I did rank the starters 1 through 46. Seven of the 10 were Eagles. And and, and Gronk and and Brady are 1-2. 
I mean, so the talent is there for Philadelphia. How does he do it? You look at his defense. He does so many different things up front. They, they, they show so much stuff. These guys are so disciplined. Every player he has on that team is smart. They understand how to play football. It's not just a physical thing, and that's where they get the advantage. Pete Prisco joining me on the set here on Radio Row. Now, you mentioned the Pro Bowl. You talked to a lot of guys at the Pro Bowl, and one of the things you asked them is, is Tom Brady now Michael Jordan? Has he gone by Michael Jordan as the greatest in a particular sport? Where do you come out on that, and what do the guys at the Pro Bowl have to say about that? I was always a big Michael Jordan was the best I've sure. ever seen. The, you know, if he had played, it's, it's those, our age, by the way. Right, it's a right. We're in that thing. If he had played those two years, he would have won eight in a row. But he didn't, so he's won, he won six. He was six and zero in the finals. That's one thing that he has over Tom Brady. So I, you know, me right now, and I talked to the Pro Bowl players. Those guys all insisted, I don't know. I was always Mike. But you know what? It's football. It's harder to win titles in football. It, you know, because you got so many variables in there. And that's what a lot of those guys said. You had Pippen. You know that. Pippen was one of the top 50 players of all time, whether he's with Michael or not. Tom Brady's winning with, you know, Gronk's a great player. But how many Hall of Famers has Tom Brady played with? Very few. Randy Moss. With you know, one year, though, and he didn't win that year. Yeah, though. exactly right. And to your point, though, I mean, it, it doesn't matter who they have. I mean, they get these little backs, these little scat backs. They do what they do. They find their seam. They get open. And this guy just keeps winning. I mean, Julian Edelman, Amendola, it almost doesn't even matter. Who would you pick? I mean, I'm just curious. Because I, I kind of, when I polled those guys, some of them couldn't make a decision. You know, it, it's really tough. It's, I'm having trouble kind of processing one thing to the other because MJ, to me, was always the guy. Me too. MJ was always the guy. He, from top to bottom, competitive spirit, work ethic, and ability to finish, and ability to reach into your chest and rip your heart out. But, man, this guy's got five, and he's looking at six, and he's about to win his third MVP award, and he's doing it at 40. Mike didn't look like this at 40. No. Mike, guys Mike not slamming into no, Mike when he was 40. No, 30, when he was 39 was his last year. He had, like I said, 20, and it wasn't the same type of player. This is the same player he was 10 years ago. That's the incredible thing about Brady. That's why... For me, that's why it was an interesting debate. I wanted to hear some some of the younger players. You know, we grew up with Jordan. Some of the younger players, this is their guy. See, Jordan was like kind of a default setting for guys like you and me. And, and from a football standpoint, Joe Montana was always that guy. You didn't debate it. We just knew that Joe was the best. But can you make that argument now when Brady's got five and he might get six? And who knows when he's going to stop? No, it's, it's Brady in football, clearly. And I think when you look at it, you have to say, okay, Bill Russell in basketball, people, some, I, I, you know, he won 11 in 13 years, but it was a different time. They only had to win a couple games, you know, series to get sure. to the championship. Gretzky, people forget about Gretzky because hockey isn't a great sport, but Gretzky was as dominant as anyway, but he only has four titles. Right. Four. No, this he, is six. He, he was as dominant in his sport as any, and I can remember when he came to L.A. in his prime and what that did to the entire town. It captivated the whole town, and they came that close to winning it all in 93, but they didn't. Let me ask you about Gronk before you go, because at this point, everything points to him playing on Sunday, but Eric Weddle, a guy that I love and respect, told you at the Pro Bowl he thinks Brady is better without Gronk on the field. Now, I know Eric Weddle. He's not trolling. I mean, he believes that. Can you? What's his rationale behind that statement that they're better without Gronk on the field? He thinks when Gronk is on the field, there's a tendency to force him the football. Whereas when he's not on the field, and you saw that against Jacksonville, he has a tendency to spread it out more and not force it there. I don't agree with Eric, by the way. I think when you have Gronk on the field, he takes so much of the focus that it helps open up the other guys. But he thinks Brady, at times, is better when Gronk is not on the field. Well, look at all the guys he has to throw to. There are guys who will make plays, but if you're going to have one of the greatest weapons in the history of the league, you're going to find a way to get him the ball, right? Or at least make them double him so those other guys are singled more than they normally would be. Right. All right. So who do you think wins this game and why? I think it's, we talk about the steel, steely eyes of Michael Jordan. You're going to see the steely eyes again of Tom Brady. It's going to be a very close game. I think the Eagles are the better team. Doug Peterson will not be afraid of Bill Belichick. He will scheme it up like he's done the last two games. But in the end, 
that guy's going to have the ball. Number 12 will have the ball late in the game, and he's going to be asked to go get a field goal or a touchdown, and you know what? He's going to go get it. All right, so if we try to make an argument the other way, Nick Foles, can he have the type of game that he had in the NFC Championship game, and does he need to have that kind of a game for them to win? Yes, he needs to have a game just like that. If he has a game like he had against Atlanta where he schemed it up and dinked and dunked and didn't throw for a great number, they're not winning this game. He's got to have a game like he had against the Vikings. If he one thought about the Pro Bowl, what did you make of this year's Pro Bowl? Ugly. They need to get rid of it. I mean, seriously, can you, they've done everything they can to make that thing interesting, to make that thing work. But after all, it's a football game, but they're not playing football. Is there anything at this point that they can do to tweak, revamp, or reinvent that game to make uh, it work? I mean, play flag football because that's basically what it is. You saw the running backs. Nobody even put them on the ground. It was, it's, it's bad. The guys enjoy the week, okay? They enjoy being together. The practices are basically walkthroughs. They goof off. They laugh. They have a good time. It's good to be with your peers. The game is, is tired. Listen, this is my thing. Everybody wants to be selected to play in the Pro Bowl, but nobody wants to actually play in the Pro Bowl. I mean, look at this pick six. Is there anybody trying? Oh, there, there is a block. There is a real decleater. Michael, Michael Bennett, I love Michael Bennett. He's the best. He's one of my favorite guys ever. But when he says, quote, everybody played hard, yeah. I mean, come on, nobody played. If by everybody playing hard you mean nobody played hard, then everybody played hard. Yeah, it's bad. they got to do something about it. But, you know, you saw the ratings for it. it was, right. They were pretty good. Right. Well, as long as that thing rates and there's still eyeballs on it, it's going to stick. What's the rest of your week look like? Radio Road, doing a bunch of interviews, hanging out, uh, writing a few more stories, and getting ready for uh, Sunday. Hey, listen, you know how this week goes. Is there anybody in particular that you're looking forward to seeing that you normally wouldn't see except here? No, but I am looking forward to Saturday because I think Tony Vaselli, a friend of mine, is actually going to get into the Hall of Fame this uh-huh. week. And think? deservedly so. I think this is the year he gets in. How important is that to him? Very. I mean, look, his career was cut short. If it wasn't cut short, he would be a slam dunk. So now he's fighting the Terrell Davis uh, situation. And I think Terrell Davis getting in last year will help him to get in this year. Orlando Pace. Orlando, what's up? How are you? I'm good. How about you, Jim? Good, dude. Good. It's a nice resume you have there. Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. (laughs) So I had Andre Tippett on the show yesterday, and it had been 10 years since he got inducted into the Hall of Fame. He says on some level he's still kind of pinching himself. You're a class member from 2016. Has it sunken in yet, or on some level, are you still getting used to it? I'm still getting used to it. I think uh, when when you're a pro football Hall of Famer, uh, you know, obviously it's the pinnacle of our our career, our, our, our are, you know, playing in the National Football League. And to have that opportunity is great. You know, you go in rooms and you're sitting in rooms with, like, Jim Browns of the world. And you get you have to pinch yourself sometimes because you're like, man, I can't believe I'm a part of this elite group, man. And uh, I'm excited and, and I'm still kind of learning my way as a Hall of Famer. But uh, to be a part of it feels good. Orlando Pace, my guest, you know, is to go back. To understand where you are right now, you got to go back to where it started. Now, when you were 13, you were in Canton for a basketball tournament. You went to the Hall of Fame. What do you remember about the visit, and how much did that inspire you? It, well, it, it was everything for me. Uh, just going there, being from Ohio, and having an opportunity to go to the Hall of Fame. And you see the history of the game when you go to the Hall of Fame, and you see the bronze bust, and you're like, man, as a kid, you're dreaming. Like, man, I want to be one of those a Hall of Famer, and I want to have my bust. And that's, it, it sounded like an outlandish dream at the time, but uh, to be on that stage and, and giving your speech and reliving the journey that, 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 I, that I took, uh, it was special for me. And uh, it came full circle because I started there in Ohio, 
and now I finished my career there at Ohio at the Hall of Fame. Completely symmetrical. Hey, listen, but remember, the way I set that up, you were there for a basketball tournament. Yeah. You weren't playing football, you were playing basketball. Was football always your destiny, or did you have visions of tearing down the rim and putting up stats? <laughs> well, I think every lineman did. So, you know, as, as, an, as a high school offensive lineman, it's not really fun. You don't get any stats. The people aren't cheering your name. So, you know, obviously that was my claim to fame, to play a little basketball in high school. And when you're 6'7", playing against guys who's, you know, 5'10", 6'5", I mean, it's easy to dominate. So I had envisions of being, you know, the next Michael Jordan, Shaquille O'Neal, those type of guys. Hey, listen, you were very agile. You're an unbelievable athlete for a guy your size, but correct me if I'm wrong. When you're in high school, you're going to dominate everybody at that size. But right. as you go through the game, other guys get bigger and stronger, and they're athletic. And you can't just take advantage of them with your size. Absolutely. you got to have some skill. Uh, you got to be able to move. And I think just playing basketball really helped me on the football field as well, just moving feet, uh, being agile, and being an athlete, really. We're talking to Orlando Pace. I mentioned that you blocked for three straight MVPs. Now, Kurt Warner, whenever I've spoken to him about you, and this guy is, there's not really anybody like him either on or off the field, he would say the same thing about you. So what did it mean to you to see him join the Hall of Fame? Oh, it was awesome. Uh, obviously, I, you know, Kurt's a great quarterback, but he's an awesome person, man. I don't, you know, he is as genuine as he, he comes off, and uh, I'm excited to have him as a teammate now, you know, in the Hall of Fame. But uh, it, it, was, it was really validation of what we've done in St. Louis, what, you know, Marshall Falk's in the Hall of Fame, now Kurt Warner, and hopefully we can get Isaac Bruce in as well. Orlando Pace, my guest. Now listen, big man, be real with me for a minute. Kurt Warner is a legend. But take me back to when Trent Green went down. What kind of thoughts were you guys having in the locker room about how that season was going to go? It was rough. Uh, you know, obviously, we, we felt really good about that year with Trent Green and, and the success we could have with Trent. And then he goes down. We're like, oh, man, this happens again. Who is this guy, Kurt Warner? Can he play? And we are, we, you know, we're questioning. But, you know, obviously, you know, Dick Vermeil, we will rally around Kurt Warner. And, and, and he really was uh, the cornerstone for that. He really, that leadership, everything he... And we, we, we went out and played. And that every week, Kurt got better. He gained more confidence. And, you know, obviously he was the MVP that year. And, and we won the Super Bowl. Yeah, but did you know, I'm glad you brought up Vermeule because he had that famous presser. Yeah. He had that famous press conference where he said, we will rally around Kurt Warner. We will play good football. Did you know immediately that the team would rally around Kurt the way it did? You know what? We bought into the system. And we were buying into that, that Coach Vermeule system. And to every player to to a man we bought into that system and and coach Ramil did a great job of, of you know really bringing everybody together and we like we're going to have success we're tired of losing and he used to kill us in practice the the the, the, the two years prior and he let up on us a little bit mike marsh mike marsh was our offensive coordinator he instilled some confidence in us as well and then the rest is history we're talking to orlando pace he's on the set right here in minneapolis now you are a st louis rams legend what's it like for you to see that team playing in la well it's awesome i'm excited now i can wear my rams gear with pride uh you know once a ram always a ram so you know obviously the organization is doing a great job of you know embracing the st louis guys into the fold out in L.A., and, and, you know, we'd like to see the team have success with Sean McVay and what they've done with that coaching staff and really developed a lot of those players, man, and uh, obviously getting them back to the playoffs, uh, you know, it was exciting for me to watch. And hey, listen, you're the guy who said, and understandably so, that if you're on the line, you don't get a lot of attention, you certainly don't get the stats, but you are responsible for the pancake block. <laughs> I mean, you have that. Nobody can take that from you. Right. What's it mean to you to be known as that guy? Like, like Deacon Jones was known for the head slap. <laughs> you were known for the pancake block. Well, yeah, it was awesome, man. And it started off at at, at Ohio State where we were trying to get uh, 
you know, the sports information guy was trying to get us, get me in the Heisman race. And, you know, as offensive linemen, you don't have a lot of stats. So, well, let's create a stat, the pancake block. And it kind of took off from there. And, uh, you know, obviously, you know, just to be in that conversation as being a Heisman finalist, it was a fun time for me. I was going to say, what was that like? Offensive linemen do not get that kind of run for the Heisman. You were at the ceremony. You were one of the finalists. What was it like to be an offensive lineman at that ceremony? Well, it was good. It was fun because, uh, you know, at least it brought, you know, brought it into the, the forefront. Like, yo, linemen are, you know, we're, we don't have any stats, but we can be good players as well. So, it, you know, a lot of teams and a lot of, a lot of guys, a voter start saying, oh, well, let's look at, you know, di- maybe different alternatives. And next, the next year, Charles Wilson ended up winning it, you know, being a defensive guy. Hey, listen, I got a thought on offensive linemen. You guys do not get a lot of credit. You don't get a lot of run. You certainly don't want to do the interviews because you don't want to make it about yourselves. But right. every offensive lineman I've ever spoken to is great to talk to, is a great interview because it's a very technical position. There's so much more that goes into that than the common fan would know. And they're all good to talk to. You guys are because to me, it's so technical. Now, then you have Luke Fickle. He's the head coach of the University of Cincinnati. He would go up against you in practice at Ohio State. He had always believed that when it came to drills, the low man wins. <laughs> <laughs> and that physics does not lie. What happened when you went up against him? Well, Luke, Luke's a, a smaller guy, and uh, you know, obviously, I'm you know a bigger guy. But you know, we we had some battles in there, and uh, I appreciate Luke for that comment. But obviously, you know, uh, you know, I could I could move him off the ball if I had to. And let me tell you something. He said <laughs> that he's not sure if either he or Mike Vrabel or anybody beat you in a drill in practice. I mean, did you never lose in well, practice ever? I can't remember, and I, I, that may be accurate. I don't remember. But Vrabel, uh, obviously, you know, he's the coach of the Titans now, but he's he was a great competitor, a great teammate at Ohio State. We had some battles as well, so he may have got me once or twice. Did he seem like a coach, a future coach in the making when you played with him in college football, and how do you think he'll do as a head coach? I think he'll do great. I'm excited. Uh, I'm excited that he got that position. Obviously, I'm rooting for him, but, yeah, he did, and, and I know he – you know, when he was out there, he always coached some of the younger guys up, even in college. So, and he was always a student of the game. Then he went to the Patriots and obviously probably learned some, some things from Belichick a little bit. And, uh, you know, coaching is his passion now, and I wish him the best. We were talking to Hall of Famer Orlando. He said recently that he respected the fact that you were one of the few offensive linemen that would take him on one-on-one. It's always going to be mano-a-mano, no help whatsoever. So if I were to ask you, who were some of the pass rushers that you loved going up against that you knew, man, I'm going to be in a fight all day long, every single play? Well, I think Dwight Freeney is one of those guys, man. When you look at that spin move and obviously it's well-documented, some things you can't stop, you know, and, and, and you know, he'll get upfield really fast. And uh, the Chris Domans of the world, the Bruce Smiths of the world, all those guys are Hall of Famers. And, uh, you know, they always challenged me. You knew it was going to be a full you know, you're going you're gonna to play a full four quarters. So of that group, or maybe somebody else, who's the most relentless dude that you ever went up against? Wow, they're all pretty good, man, yeah. to be honest with you. Uh, in the league, you know. No easy Sundays. Are, no easy Sundays at all, man. And, uh, you know, every week there was a challenge, and everybody's trying to, go, you know, feed their family. So, uh, you know, we're just, we're out there battling. So everybody came at me. Is that how you approach it? Like, you're coming to take food off my plate? Absolutely. Because the league, if you don't perform, they'll, you know, they'll, you're done. You know, you can't, you can't live your dream anymore. So obviously, week in and week out, you know, guys are game planning against you. Guys are coming at you because obviously if they don't perform, then, you know, they don't have a job. So you're active and you're an entrepreneur. You've got a lot of different things going on right now. What was it like for you personally when the cheering stopped? I mean, you committed your entire life to this thing. It was your identity. And then all of a sudden it's gone in a second. What was that like? Well, I, you know, obviously, uh, Jim, I, I was preparing for retirement uh, the entire time and always beginning with the end in mind of what I'm going to do post-career. So I was never caught off guard of, okay, what I'm going to do. Now, obviously, I'll, I'll pour my passion into something different. 
and, uh, and, and hopefully this transition is, is good for me. Hey, listen, I want to say that it, that doesn't, you don't need to die the day the cheering stops. Yeah. But when you make that transition, have you found the same sort of passion or energy or enthusiasm for anything that you're doing that would ever compare to football? You know what? You got to be realistic. Like that, that the adrenaline that, that flows up through your body when you're out in the game and fans are cheering for you, you'll never find that ever again, uh-huh. you know, obviously. So, you know, you just try to get something that, that, that you're passionate, that you can draw your interest into, and you won't, people aren't going to come cheer you or, or pat you on the back all the time. So you got to have, yeah, you got to be, you know, a sense of reality when it comes to that as well. Orlando Pace, my guest. If you're watching on CBS Sports Network, you can see this unbelievable bling that we have on the desk. You're working with Kay Jewelers, who makes the ring of excellence. It goes to the members of the Hall of Fame. So what are you doing with Kay this week, and what's that ring? If you can hold that ring up, Orlando, that's pretty awesome. It's an amazing ring. How often do you break that thing out, and what are you doing this week with Kay? Well, events like this, obviously, Kay is a great partner of the Pro Football Hall of Fame. Every inductee gets a gold jacket, a bronze buff, and one of these beautiful rings that they designed and uh obviously we're here and we, we, we ch- i try to wear it as much as possible especially at events like this but uh so people can kind of just see you know some of the some of the perks of uh you know of, of being a hall of famer so i'm excited to, to partner with Kay, and uh and, you know that's it you're doing your work with them this week man the football life orlando the football life has been very very good to you you earned it all but the football life's been good, right? Yeah, I can't complain at all. I've lived my dream. Uh, I've been, you know, now I'm in the Hall of Fame where there's this, this elite group of guys. And, uh, you know, it's been really good to me, Jim. The pride of Mount St. Joseph High School in Baltimore. <laughs> oh, you oh, got the Gales in there. What's up, Mike? The Gales, baby. How you doing, bud? What's First up? of all, Jim, how do you have Prisco on before me? Were you trying to bring the show to a crashing halt? All right, dude, I'll be honest. How? He's better at his job than you are yours. Oh! Bet smarter. That's right through the heart. Better looking so it's good for TV. No, no, he, he, Bro, d- d- a better d- question would be, why am I having you on at all? He made a, he, first of all, smarter. Definitely, check, check second that of all, box. better looking. Check that box. Are you kidding me with Come that? On, man. Mike, look in the mirror, bro. Hey, listen, personal appearances <laughs> are not show fodder, so don't start something that you don't want to finish, all right? I'm going to let this go, bud. Well, that's pretty big of you. Not like you had a choice, man. He already came on, all right? He came on. He did his job. Now I need you to come on and do your job, all right? I'm it's ready, not the bro. Patriot way. It's the Rome way. Do your job, do Mike. Do your job. All right, so let me say it right now. You are the most important Mount St. Joseph High School football player who Since. will be in the stadium, yes, on Sunday. The second most important graduate of that school who played football is going to be Jim Schwartz. You went to school with him. I did. What was he like back in the day? He was really smart. Really talented, crazy, uh, arrogant, but I loved him. He was the most popular player on the team. Um, everybody liked him. He was he was a really, um, I, I think as I kind of wrote, he sort of, he would call out plays before they happened. He was a big study guy, um, and he was athletic and talented he was good is it weird to you i mean not only did you guys go to the same school which would be a source of pride i would imagine for you and for yeah. him especially mike well for him more you guys played on the same football team you played on the same football team in high school with jim schwartz so i don't know what your mind was like back then but did you look at that guy like man this guy is different this guy is special he's not only going to be a d1 guy probably this guy could play in the nfl or coach in the nfl did you see any of that back then i thought he would be the best at whatever he chose to do and i knew he had interest in coaching um he ended up playing at georgetown i think 
But he, I knew he, he, whatever he wanted to do, he was going to be good at because he was just a very, very smart guy. And so you kind of figured, uh, I thought he would go into coaching. I didn't think playing. He wasn't big enough or strong enough or fast. None of us were. Um, but I thought he would, if he wanted to go into coaching, because he was, he was naturally kind of a coaching type guy. So I thought that's where he was going to end but up. Dude, he's but I smart. mean, he's here smart. He's smart. at the Super Bowl, do you think you ever play with someone in high school who's going to end up coaching in the Super yeah, that, Bowl? That's no. what I'm getting at. That's what I'm getting at. So when you see him, are you like, hey, Jim, this is really amazing? And does he look at you and say, do I know you? <laughs> or is he always happy to see you when he knows you? And knows that you guys balled. I mean, because you were a DB and he was a linebacker. He, he, I was, he was far better player than I was. I don't know if he looks at me and says, do I know you? But I think, I think he knows me. Good. I Good. think he knows me. He knows, first of all, I'm better than Prisco at everything. He knows that. Well, and better looking. Okay, and more talented. De- debatable. And then what's so that going to get you that. anyway? <laughs> Not well, much. Why are you always making it about you, Not Mike? Much. I'm trying to do an interview here. Why is it always about you? <laughs> you? You also point out in the piece that his yearbook entry includes the line, most of his free time is spent playing sports, weightlifting, partying, and listening to Judas Priest. <laughs> How accurate was that? Was this Very guy a huge accurate. Judas Priest guy at the time? Here's the thing about him, too. I, I, I wrote about how, um, like in a lot of high schools, things are kind of segregated and there's groups. And in high school, African-American students were in one corner and we were mostly by ourselves. And we didn't, a lot of white students didn't inter- interact with us, but he would. Mm. Like he would walk over to us sit down, talk to us, hang with us. Um, we saw him as one of us. But, yeah, he would listen to Judas Priest, all that kind of stuff all the time. So awesome. And did you, are you, were you bumping Judas Priest back in that time? Nah, on the Walkman or the I didn't, cassette? Nah, I didn't or roll. Or whatever they had back in the day? I didn't roll. You no weren't Judas, that guy? I didn't roll no Judas Priest, bro. <laughs> Nah, man. I didn't roll with no nah, Judas Priest, man. bro. That Judas, should be in your nah. your bio for your Twitter. Judas Priest. I didn't Jim. roll. I did, man. Judas Priest was great. No Judas Priest. Metal, man. Great. Metal. What are you talking Metal. about? What am I talking about? Only things that matter. <laughs> Judas Priest. A- anyway, it, it's Let's not your on, fault. Let's move on, It's Jim. too late to move on. First you insult me with Prisco first, then you talk about Judas Priest? So yeah, let that go. That's not personal. I don't Which know, maybe, one do I got? Maybe, go. maybe all of it, man. Let it all go. I'm not letting Judas Priest go. While you're at it, let go of Star Trek too. What are you talking about? Okay, anyway, why are you? Don't, don't even start. Don't go this, down that road. Is this? Are you designing this segment to insult me? Let go of Star Trek. Do you <clears> let go not, of no, dude, like who you my, are? Do you let go of the world, the universe? It is you your world. So no, what are you talking it, it, about? It's a lot to leave on the table for somebody like you. Understand that? Don't insult Star Trek to me. I'm not here. I'm not here. I'm here. I'm not. Well. Am I you, live you know long and prosper, baby? Listen, my man, it's live long me, and prosper. It's gotten me in trouble before. All of you, but I would never not Everybody. say to your face what I say to you on the phone every single time. <laughs> All right, now listen. There, in terms of Schwartz, how do you think that he and the Eagles defense deal with Tom Brady? Well, I I had a coach tell me before the Patriots played the Jaguars. I said, "How do you stop Tom Brady?" And the answer was, "Do what the Ravens did in the 2012 title game, which is hit him and run the ball." Now, picking against Tom Brady is stupid. And I'm not going to pick against Tom Brady. But that doesn't mean the Eagles can't win and how they win. That's how they win. They can do that. They can run the ball. They can hit Tom Brady. And the Jaguars did it for a little bit, but then Brady became Brady. So the Eagles can do that. They have the, they have the front. They have the linemen to do it. They have the speed to do it, the smarts to do it. And they can run the ball well. So they can do what the Ravens did. Now, the Ravens had Ray Lewis, um, but... That's how you beat them. That's really the only way to beat them. A lot of contact, hit them, 
make them think about it, and then you run the football, and you can beat them that way. But everyone tries that. Sure. And it doesn't work. And to your point, Jacksonville was doing it. They were having success doing it, but they didn't finish. And if you don't finish, if you don't drive a stake through this zombie's he will eyeball, kill you. he will finish you. It's, he will finish you. I mean, Jim, think about what we're watching now with him. Yeah. Eight Super Bowls? Yes. Um, lost two. Belichick, I think, has been in ten total. Right. Two with the Giants and then with the Patriots. I mean, this is stunning what we're seeing. And right, so how do you, how do you make, Mike, to that point, we're talking about the two – they're the best to ever do it yes. in their respective jobs. I don't think that's really debatable at this point. So how do they, how do they lose this game? Um, well, they lose it the way they did to the Giants twice. The Giants use that Ravens sort of formula. They ran the ball. They made key plays at key moments. They frustrated Brady. They slowed him down. Um, that's how they lose, but it's, it's so rare. Like, you can count on one hand a number of times that's happened. Right. It doesn't happen often. So... It's a tough spot for Philly, but they can win. I can I can think of three, four reasons why the way, they can I could, win. I could argue for them winning. I could argue. You can for them argue winning. it. There's a, there's a lot to like about that team. A lot. Now then, that brings me to the next storyline, Mike. Eagle fans. Eagle fans. You covered the Eagles for a long time. Yeah. You had a number of incidents, such as a time that you quote emerged from covering an Eagles game to see a guy urinating near my car. Yes. Question. Yes. Urinating near your car. Or urinating onto your car? Well, I, that's the big debate. I mean, do we want to go down this rabbit hole? Do you want to talk about the specifics of this incident? And, and Jim. I don't think we need to because we kind of know how it went down. But when I, the most recent, the NFC title game this year, I got out of the car and there was a guy. He didn't want to wait in line at the porta potties and he just went right in the parking lot. I, got, I kind of respect that. Uh-huh. And the cops were there. They didn't care. Yeah, uh, that's okay. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, that's all right. You, you do what you got to do. Gotta you got to go. You got to go. go. Right. Yeah. But it, do you have to go on your car? Well, that was. Do you have vanity plate that said "I'm Mike Freeman"? <laughs> and is that how that went down? Do I do I seem like the type of guy that has a vanity? Don't, don't it answer. Seems a little don't out of answer. character that he would happen to find don't your answer. car don't and answer. not somebody else's car. I don't think he was specifically looking for my car. You know, it was your car. I think it was just a car. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So Brady, Mike, he's forty. And we've been doing this all week long, but how do you explain what this guy's doing at age 40? I mean, it's really unprecedented. I've never, um, like you, you and I have been around the sport a long time. We've covered guys who get into, like, their late 20s and early 30s and start slowing down. Even quarterbacks. I mean, to play into your 40s at this level, that's the key, at this level, to get to a Super Bowl, to play at this elite level is just, I don't know if we'll ever see anything like it again. And it's testament to who he is. He always, he always has a chip on his shoulder. He still has it. He still has I still remember that the interview he did with ESPN where he starts talking about when he, how low, late he was drafted. He started crying. <laughs> like, that's who he is. Right. He, he thinks everyone's against him. He thinks the, the league is against him. And in a lot of ways, he's, he's right. Sure. So he, he uses that as fuel, that chip he uses as fuel, and I think it's a part of everything he does. And you see what happens. I mean, it's, there's so many things that um, people hate this team so much. They hate them, but there's so many things to admire about them. For sure. I agree with that statement. I mean, it's so, they're, what they're doing on so many levels, coaching, fitness, the mental part of the game is really something to admire. Just if you're a football guy. All right, so one last thought about him. 
and then I'll let you go. But you know how it is in boxing. You're a boxing guy, right? Yep. There are nights where a guy can show up, and all of a sudden he's shot, and nobody saw it coming. Where yeah. he, he can no longer pull the trigger. He can't get out of the way of getting hit. We see this happen to boxers all the time, where you expect something, and they just show up, and they've got nothing. What about this guy? I mean, we keep waiting for him to fall off the cliff. We thought maybe earlier this year when they started 2-2, two and two, that might be happening. Clearly, as in, it has not happened. Is it going to happen next year? Is it going to happen the year after? When does this happen to that guy? Because I don't care how focused or dedicated he is, father time is undefeated. It's going to win. It always does. I think that's a great question and the question with him, and I've been waiting for it this year. I've been waiting. I covered a lot of Patriots games uh, last year, year before. I've been waiting for him to slow down, and it hasn't happened. Uh, and I don't know. At your, I mean, at some point it's going to, but do you see any indication that he's slowing down? No, I don't. There's I don't none. see any slippage at all. I don't see any. So I would think he can probably play another year or two at this level, which is – can you imagine a 42-year-old Tom Brady in the no. Super Bowl? No, but it – It could happen. No, but the guy, he's made it very, very clear that this is the most important thing in his life other than his family. He's going to get every last drop out of this thing. And as long as he can still play and he's got that will to prepare – you know, who am I it, to say? It's, the whole it's his legacy, not mine. It's his body, not mine. And it's the whole organization. They're all like that. They all say, I'm going to give everything I have. They all, and that makes it boring for us because they don't, they don't deal with us that well. They don't really talk to us that much. Or they're just a, kind of a boring team to be hey, around. You know Belichick. He's gotten rid of other guys. And better to get rid of them a little too early than to hold on to them a little bit late or too long. Could that ever happen to Tom Brady? It could happen to anybody. Jim. Could it happen to Tom Brady? Yes. In that town? Yes. On that team? Yes. Within, this is not Jimmy Garoppolo we're talking about. This is not Jacoby Brissett we're talking about. Not even guys like it, I know. Lawyer Malloy. I mean, I know. I'm McGinnis. He's, he's a different cat on a different level, but it can happen. You said it. Father time catches up, and it could happen to him. The Patriots could say, we're going to let you. Everyone says it'll never happen. Odds are it'll never happen. But it can happen it'll to happen. anybody. Oh, it'll happen. happen. to Jerry Rice. It'll happen. Joe yeah, Montana. Rice, Rice did just say he could still play at 55. So maybe it didn't happen to Rice. Jerry, come on. <laughs> Jerry's is, that's delusional. I was gonna say, that's a little delusional. That's a little delusional. Mike Freeman, Bleach Report, NFL national lead writer. He has written so many books. You Negotiate Like a Girl with Amy Trask, Snake, The Legendary Life of Ken Stabler, more time, and Jim. The Pride. One more time, baby. One more time, baby. What are you doing with that, man? Right there. Right there. You have a question? Live long and prosper. Do I look like a teacher? Do you have Live a question? Live long and prosper. Yeah, yeah, you over there. Yes. Mike, you got a question? Yes. No, 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 no. This is not a question. This is a universal sign for peace and exploration Bro, it's, it's, and it's love, just a bad baby. look for you. And even worse, it's, it's not a bad, a bad look, look for, for me. Don't, don't bring this that This is around. awesome Listen, look for me. You can do that me. all you want when I talk awesome. to you on the radio. Can you not do this on TV? No, I'm doing it on TV. Live long and prosper. Everybody watching. Kirk Cousins joins me on the road. Kirk, it is so good to see you. How are you? It's just so good to be in the jungle, Jim. Glad to be here. My man, so good to see you, sincerely. Now, since the last time you and I spoke, something very dramatic happened in your life. You have a son. That's right. Four-month-old son now, Cooper Wesley Cousins. It's a thrill. He's a healthy, happy boy, and uh, my wife and I are thrilled. We're excited for what the future brings. Are you putting everything in his left hand? Oh, man. You know what? We're teaching him the golf swing. We're teaching him how to swing a tennis racket. I think we're going to push him towards uh, something other than football. But uh, if he wants to play, which he probably will, I'm not going to stop him. Hey, listen, it's kind of a serious topic, right? I mean, you look at your life, your football life, and what it's done for you. Yeah. But you're not necessarily going to push him that direction. No. How come? It's a violent game, man. And, um, you know, it tests you. Uh, there's nothing quite like football. I mean, I played the other high school sports. Football will test you and grow you as a person more than any other sport will. I believe that. 
Uh, again, if he wants to play, absolutely. But I'm not going to push or steer in that direction, especially not to the quarterback position. So, um, And that's more just because I don't want him to feel like he has to be somebody that he's not. But uh, That'd be tough. The golf thing I probably will push because that's a sport for the lifetime, and I'm frustrated. I'm a 20 handicap, and I can't seem to get it down. So I wish I had started earlier, and I'm going to make sure he does. Okay, you, know, you make such a good point. Kirk Cousins my guest. I'm the same way. I belong to a club <laughs> that I belong to. My man, listen to this. This is really pathetic. For over a decade. And a nice club, and not a cheap club. Yeah. I've never once picked up the bats. I thought that I would get to it, but right. because it's so frustrating and I can't commit to it, I won't do it. But to your yeah. point, that is something that you can have with your son or anybody else yeah. for a lifetime. Yeah, the quality time spent together is unique, too. And uh, I look forward to doing that in the future, you know, when I'm done playing and hopefully getting that handicap down. But it's a lot of fun, and uh, it's almost the, the failure and the frustration of it almost is what brings me back for more to try to see if I can get it to, to by, be fixed. By the way, there's something to that. Every great athlete that I've ever spoken to loves golf because it's the great equalizer. Yeah, you can really never is. master it. Yep. All right, so listen, small talk out of the way. Let's get to the really important stuff, the stuff you don't want to cover, namely Bentley and your van. <laughs> Bentley is the dog. How is Bentley doing these days? He's so good. Mr. Bentley's doing really well. Uh, he's six years old now. He's making it. I said uh, I'm six years into my NFL career, and he's six years old. So I think he's probably going to be tapping out about the time I'm retiring. So I want to make sure he and I see each other through this NFL career, and he's been there every step of the way. I love it. You guys came in <laughs> together. You should go out together. That's right. What about the 2000 GMC conversion van, a.k.a. the Gray Ghost, yep. a.k.a. Gandalf the Gray? Yep. How's that beauty? Oh, it's still days? running. We're up to 140,000 miles now thanks to uh, Virginia Tire and Auto, a local partner in the D.C. area. They're uh, taking care of it. Had a little oil leak at the end of the season. They took care of it, gave it a new clean bill of health. So we're going good for another... 3,000 miles. Good to hear it. All right, so another Super Bowl week and another week where your contract and your future is the talk of the league. You and I had a laugh when you sat down, like, same thing, different years, same thing. Yep. So what's the experience like when you hear everybody talking about your financial situation? You know, personal things, (laughs) your financial situation and where you might play. Well, you know, you don't want to talk about money. I mean, that doesn't get you anywhere. So I want to talk about winning football games. And, yeah, it's a business, but ultimately this decision, you know, going forward is going to be about winning games and, and how do we do that best and where can I do that best. And, you know, the Redskins have the first move with the, with the tag deadline March 6th, and they can decide what they want to do, and then I'll react accordingly. But if they choose to tag me, you know, I'll be content to, uh, you know, to go forward in that route. I'm okay with that. I've shown I'm okay with that. But uh, if they don't, then, yeah, I've got to be active and go look at what's the best option for me. Kirk, I don't for a second think that you're being disingenuous, but are you completely okay with that? Do you got to prove yourself every single well, year? I don't know that I see it as proving myself. I feel like, um, you know, for me, I'm okay going year to year, even if I've already proven myself to them. And, and they've made it clear, we believe in you, you're our guy. Um, you know, they just don't want to pay a dollar more than they have to. And so that's really more the challenge is, is, is coming to an agreement there. But, you know, they believe in me, and I, I feel that, and, you know, it's, it's just more about uh, trying to get the right circumstances. Okay, now what about that? I mean, sure, they'll make that determination that this is the number, we're not coming off this number, but now you're in a place where you've got to make your own determinations. At this point in your career, what's important to you? What kind of situation are you looking for? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's winning. You know, I want to win, I, and I think uh, uh, I've had an opportunity to earn a good living playing football. Uh, that box is checked, quote-unquote, and, and so I want to go win, and uh that yeah, can be Washington. It really can. But uh, I want to you know, do my research and, and look where the best option is and then uh, make that decision. But uh, that's what I'll be remembered for, and that's what's going to matter. You know, in 30 years, if I want to come in the jungle, it's going to be because, because I won. Oh, man, I'll be in the ground. <laughs> 30 years from now, I would have been in the ground 10 years probably. Uh, you know, but, I mean, legacy is an important thing. And I'm sure on some level it would be great to spend your entire career with a franchise and that franchise. Sure, right. That said, in the back of your mind, do you ever wonder, is the grass greener? Might there be a better situation for me? 
certainly worth doing the research and gathering that information. Might as well. I mean, I'm a thorough guy, detailed guy and everything else I do. Might as well gather the information and then go from there. But uh, there's no doubt that the, the top quarterbacks in the league tend to stay with one team, tend to build that, that uh, rapport with the community and with the team through their whole career, and it's a consistent consistent you know city the whole the whole time they play and um you know that's certainly preferred but uh not at the expense of winning Kirk which Cousins i don't my you know, guess right. washington I, we can win i think part of the issue and certainly you can win in that town you had injuries look i don't care I mean, yeah that, exactly that's a game of injuries everybody knows what they signed up for but as a team when the season ended you had 20 guys on injured reserve and numerous other players playing with nagging injuries along the way again it's a part of the game but at any point you start to think man i or we were just snake bitten um you know, I, I wouldn't say that. I just think that injuries are a part of the game. I think uh, it's tough to make it an excuse because so many other teams did face injuries too. But uh, um, when you can stay healthy, it does make a difference. And, uh, you know, if you have that, it certainly helps. But, um, you know, go, go forward and, and see what we got. There's a lot of talent on the Redskins team. You know, great offensive line. Uh, love Chris Thompson as our back. Uh, love Jordan Reed as our tight end. You know, we got some good young receivers to develop, great guys, great teammates. So a lot to like. And um, it's just a matter of, you know, making it all work. Kirk Cousins, my guest. I saw you tweeting the other day on the Whole30 Eating Program. Uh, and in my neighborhood, I know a lot of guys doing this. They're dropping a lot of weight. For those who don't know, what is it all about and what inspired you to take that on? Well, I just want to feel as good as I possibly can and be as healthy as possible. And, you know, you, the guys like Tom Brady and Drew Brees who eat so healthy and take great care of themselves, the proof is in the pudding that it's made a difference for their career and their longevity and their and their production. So I want to kind of follow the same path. And I think Whole30 is a good way to start on that path. And until I did Whole30, I never realized how addicted to sugar I was. I mean, I just crave it. I, I eat, you know, I was eating healthy all day long, and like 8 o'clock at night, I would just get these cravings, and it, it was dude, weird. It was almost dude, like I'm looking a, in a mirror. Exactly. It's like I need right. a hit, you know. It was crazy. So, um, you know, I made it 10 days, and then I, I traveled, and it was just too hard for me to stay on it. And that's an excuse. It's not a, a valid excuse, but uh, it was too hard, and I, I got off it. But uh, it's a great way to live, great way to eat, and... Uh, I'm just going to try to keep getting back on as much as I can. So what's your go-to sugar? I can't believe you just said that the way you said that because I'm the same way. I get up in the morning, don't have any need for it, grind out the entire day. Yeah. But right around 8 o'clock, yeah. man, that urge kicks in and you feed it like a drug almost. Yeah, I think it was uh, growing up. You know, I had ice cream at night growing up all the time. It was just kind of a routine that every night we had dinner, we ate healthy all day, and then we always had dessert at night. And you just get in that rhythm and it's like your body knows no other way. And so aside from those 10 days where I told no, where I told it no, I had never really realized how much I do that as a part of my routine so i'm trying to cut that out if nothing else whole 30 really showed me that uh you know that's something i need to get away from is a sugar dessert if you ate dessert after every single night growing up you and i had the same childhood except you had game and i had none (laughs) that's totally it but you know what i found and i don't know how you come out on this i haven't had that much since the start of the year if you can just kind of wrestle that thing to the ground for two and three days the urges go away and that's not much of an issue. But you've got to get through that first period yeah, of time. Yeah, that's the hurdle. I think that's where the whole 30 comes in. If you can go 30 days, you can break a lot of habits. And sugar probably is one of them. But I couldn't make it 30 days. I made it 10 and then I caved. So if I could go 30, I'd like to think I could break it. Travel, man. That's the thing. You've got to stick yeah. to your, pro- your process routine, yeah. and your regimen. Listen, you've also been known to do a lot of work on the mental side of the game. Yeah. I mean, literally. Literally, in the sense that you worked with a system that measures electrical activity in your brain. What's being measured, and then how does that help you on the field? Yeah, it, uh, it uh, helps basically keep your brain at the ultimate focus level. So if your brain is um, spacing out too much or if it's hyper-focusing, it basically 
tells your brain, you know, don't do that, you know, stay in this range. And so um, it was originally the technology was developed to help children with ADD and ADHD to focus better in school, but they realized this can help people who are trying to be peak performers, CEOs, athletes, you know, let's try them on it. And it's really made a big difference for me. It's, it's called NeuroPeak Pro, and uh, I've really enjoyed it. And uh, it's one of the many things I'm trying to do along with these other quarterbacks. I've just taken a cue from them that, hey, if you want to play into your late 30s and, and have a very productive career in a competitive environment, you've got to be doing everything you possibly can. So, Kirk, what is that? I mean, you're, you're about to turn 30, right? Yeah. Drew Brees, late 30s, Tom Brady, 40, a couple of Hall of Famers playing the game at the highest level that late. What separates them from other guys? Is it just that commitment? Is it just that focus? Is it the coach? Is it the system? Yeah. How are those guys different than so many other guys that are trying so hard to be there? Yeah, you know, I think uh, they're trying that much harder. I think it matters to them more than it may matter to the rest of the guys. I mean, I saw Tom versus Time, the first episode. One of the first lines he says is, uh, uh, you know, if you want to compete against me and beat me, you better be ready to make football your everything because I've made it mine. And I just don't know that many he's guys He's willing are, to die. When he, it's yeah. not, I don't even know it's a figure of speech. I mean, he makes it sound like he's the ultimate gladiator. Yes. And you're going to have to kill me to beat me. Yes. And so until you're ready to make that level of commitment, good luck. And uh, he knows that. And uh, I also think if you start to make those decisions at 37, 38, okay, now I'm going to get serious. I think it's too late. I think you got to make it while you're still feeling good. I think that's what Breeze and Brady did. And now they're living into that. And 40s becoming the new 30. In my case, 40 became the new 50, but, <laughs> but, but there's something to it. Now, you're working with Verizon today and their yeah. Verizon Up program. Yeah. Lay it out for me. What are you doing? Yeah, Verizon, you know, there's a lot going on here with Super Bowl week, and uh, they want to make the best fan experience possible, and they have a Verizon Up loyalty program that they started recently in the last year, and they just want to encourage their Verizon customers to join this loyalty program, and uh, if you are a Verizon Up uh, program member, they have all kinds of experiences you can take part in this week. They have down in downtown at Super Bowl Live, VIP access to concerts, a little area where you can charge your phone where you can meet NFL players. I'll be down there this afternoon. So a lot of incentives to become a Verizon Up uh, loyalty member. And if you're not a Verizon customer, come on over and join the best network there is. Kirk Cousins joining us. All right, so before you go, if you're not playing in the game, you probably don't want to be here. But even worse, I guess, on some level, if a division rival is playing in the game, yeah. or maybe not. I mean, do you want to see them win so you have a shot at beating the defending champs a couple of times next season? Or do you maybe want them to lose because you don't want them to have the satisfaction of winning? And I think that issue is exactly why you don't want to be sitting on your couch come Super Bowl Sunday because it's just a weird feeling as you watch the game. And now in my sixth year, finished my sixth year, I realized, like, we need to be there. You know, it's not okay to be sitting on your couch and not be in this game. So, um, you know, we missed out a little bit. And, uh, you know, you don't, certainly don't want to pull for a division rival. But at the same time, um, you know, man, you'd love to see a different team than the Patriots, too, just to get something different. But, uh, you know, two good teams. You know, we, lost, we played the Eagles twice, lost to them both times. They're a good team and uh, well coached. And hard to bet against Brady and Belichick. So it should be fun. So where do you come out? I mean, you know that defense. You know that Philly defense. They yeah. get a lot of pressure on the quarterback, and they do yeah. it with their front four. Do you think they can get to Brady often enough and be disruptive enough to win that? You know, even if they can win their one-on-one matchups up front, Tom gets rid of the ball so quickly, senses pressure so well, that even if you're getting to him, he's usually able to find his check down, get rid of the football, you know, and you may hit him, but usually you're not getting those game-changing sacks and strip fumbles and that kind of thing. you got to knock this guy down. I mean, pressure, he beats pressure. He likes pressure. Yeah. pressuring the quarterback's no not enough. You know, it seems like when the Giants have beaten him, they've had a four-man pass rush, and they got to him in the Super Bowls. If you don't do that, you don't have a chance. Stephon Diggs is my guest. My man, good to see you. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I got to ask you, man, how's your Super Bowl week going so far? It's smooth for the, for the most part. I would say it could have been a little better, I imagine, but it's smooth right now. Yeah, I think I know what you're talking about, too, but <laughs> what's it like when everybody descends upon your town? It's good. It's good, it's, especially to see everybody come out and, you know, show that good positive energy. Uh, I knew they would have been there regardless on whether we won or not, so... I appreciate you guys. Yeah, I love it. I love you saying that. And in case you're missing and you're not watching on TV, there are a number of Viking fans that are behind our set. They're all giving the love to Stephon Diggs. Now, I had your teammate Eric Kendricks on 
and he was on yesterday, we talked about the fact that the season obviously did not end the way mm-hmm. that you would have liked. So do you still have kind of a bad taste in your mouth as a result, or is that in the rearview mirror already? I would say more so in the rearview. You know, it's the next game on TV, and we're not in it. Uh, of course you would want to be in it, but considering that we're not, everybody on that team is about positive energy, positive reinforcement, and we got a lot to build off of because we do have a young team. EK came in with me. Uh, he's, a, he's a heck of a player, and he does some special things on the defense. So it's a lot to look forward to. You know, you kind of got to get over the pads. You let it sink in. You hold on to it. You know, more bad things will happen down the road. So you just kind of got to let it go. I got to go back to the fans for a minute. He was saying that he always loved the Viking fans, but the love that they have shown since the loss, yeah. to Philadelphia has taken his feelings for them to a whole new level. Is that the way it feels to you? Yeah, definitely. Just for me because, you know, they appreciate you, not only as a player but as a fan perspective. You know, some guys, they're only there when you win or when you lose. And when you lose, they're like, this. all right, we don't really like them as much. But when we lost, the way we lost was in the worst way possible. They were still there. You know, they were like this. It didn't go as we, as we wanted to, but they felt the same feelings we felt. You know, a lot to build off of and all, all positive reinforcement. Stephon Diggs joining us on the row on the set. Now, the highlight of the season, of course, was the Minneapolis miracle your touchdown against New Orleans in the divisional game. As you get some separation right now and you look back on that play, what are the memories you have of it? Um, it was, it was, it's, it's exciting because it's definitely something to look back on and say, wow, you know, uh, I've, never had, I've never done anything like that before in my whole life, never experienced anything like that. So to be playing at the highest level and to make a play like that at that time, uh, it was definitely life-changing for me because I'll never forget it. And, um, I was, it was weird. I called my mom after the game. I, I say like, hey, mom, did you see the play? I, don't, I didn't know. She said I was in the – she said prior to that play, she was in the bathroom praying. I said, uh-huh. I said you were in the bathroom praying? She's like, this. yeah, I just wanted something good to happen. And uh, when I came back out, it was the last play of the game, and, and you made a play. She was like – she was so proud of me. She said Prayers she up. had a heart attack. It worked. So, it yeah. worked. She's alive and well, though, so no heart attack. No. So you go up to get the ball. But before you did, you said that you took a mental picture yeah. of who was on the field. So when the defender misses you, what's going through your mind? I mean, take me through that moment. Did you immediately know, hey, they're not going to get me down. I don't need to go out of bounds. I can't score. Because initially, and when I took the picture, I was like, this. he's right there. You know, he's protecting the sideline, doesn't doing his job. And I was like, this. all right, let me just try to high point the ball and try to catch it. Get, expect a collision, you know what I'm saying, and try to find my way to get out of bounds so we can kick a field goal. As I go up for the ball and I hop point, I kind of like closed my legs a little bit. Like my legs kind of got like real tight and he just whiffed. And it was like I kind of felt him like go past me. Like I didn't feel him touch me, but I just felt him like go past me. And as I, and as I turned around, I was like kind of like off balance because I was expecting contact. So uh, I put my hand down and then it was almost the rest of his history. You know? Dude, what do you think though? You're right. Like that guy whiffed. He missed. He took out a teammate. Man, there's nothing but me and the goal line I'm in glory, had, man. I'm What's going had. through your mind? What was that like? I did two head checks. You know how when you're driving, you right. like check. So I did two head checks. Two look like, both this, ways? This can't be what's going on right now. My eyes got really wide because I'm like, they really let me score. And then, you know, helmet toss. It was gone. That's it. Vikings wide receiver Stephon Diggs, my guest. You know, you and I have talked in the past about your road to the NFL. Yeah. You've dealt with injuries. You've dealt with teams that passed on you in the draft. You made the point, quote, Quote, half the guys on this offense, nobody really wanted. Yeah. Late round guys, guys that have a lot to prove with a chip on their shoulder. So how do you describe the attitude of the group and the way they've been overlooked and then how powerful a thing that could be? That's why I say, like, we have such a special group because you see a lot of teams built with, like, high round draft picks and guys that everybody wanted and everybody getting, the, you know, as many chances and they playing well. 
all our guys play like it's our last chance. It's our only chance, you know, because seeing that we were late round guys, we know that opportunity comes a dime a dozen and it doesn't come around often, especially for guys like us. So it's like um, we want to savor every moment. And when you have a collective guys working towards the same goals and feeling those same feelings of, you know, anguish and like people, you know, giving up them or didn't believe in them. And we finally have somebody that did, you know, or this team did and they gave us a shot. So the more opportunities that you get, the more you want to capitalize. seems to me when you have a lot of guys like that, it's one thing to have a guy like that, and that's powerful. But if you get a collection of exactly. guys with that same chip, pulling in the same direction, mm-hmm. that can be a really powerful thing. But at the same time, you're about keeping it positive. You made that yes. point early in the interview. So if you go back to the draft, yes. and there were a number of receivers who were taken ahead of you like that didn't numbers. even play. How many? Uh, I'm not sure. I'm yeah, sure I bet, bet you probably are sure, though. <laughs> but, I mean, guys that didn't even play in 2017, yeah. is there any part of you that wants to go back to everybody who passed on you and say, how do you feel about not drafting me now? Those are one of those feelings. Because uh, I respect every guy that was taken before me. They obviously had a good college career. They've done things really well. To make a team want them, you know. But for me, it's more so I can – it's more so you don't say anything. You know, it's better when you don't say anything. You don't show no ill feelings because at, at the end of the day, it's a business, and I understand. But I can still smile at each and every team, and, you know what I'm saying? Because, I, I mean, I did everything that I could do. You know, I took advantage of my opportunity, and I've played majority of the teams that passed on me. So uh, it was just, for me, it's more a moment like, I don't have to say now. I'm going to let my body of work speak for itself. And at the end of the day, we can shake hands like men. Yeah, interesting, guys. I mean, it's a classy way to look at it. Guys run on different types of fuel, though, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I mean, drove some me, guys. Though. That definitely drove me, though. Because seeing still? That guys, does it still? Yeah, because I love going back home to D.C. and play. I literally love going back home to D.C. That's one of my favorite places to play. You know, my hometown, they didn't really even give me a shot. So uh, it's just like, it's okay. You know what I'm saying? You'll see me. It's all good. Couple times, couple it's all good. Times you, know, you know how it is. <laughs> all right, so listen, you got, we talked about how there are lots of guys like that. Adam Thielen, as an example. Oh undrafted, coming out of Minnesota State. He said that he feels like the two of you approach your jobs on the field the same way because you know you've been through this. You can look at each other on the field and know what the other guy's going to do. How would you describe the connection the two of you have on the field? Um, Adam's a guy that came through the back door. You know, I thought I had it rough, and then I realized his situation was way rougher than mine. So to see him persevere and go as a guy from you know, doing his job to, you know, emerging as a star as one of the best receivers in the league, it's like, for me, it's like seeing your brother do well. It's like, oh, well, I've been knew he was good. I'm glad you guys are getting on board finally, you know, and it's good these train. But uh, I'm just, I was just so happy for him to see him have success because I always believed in him. I feel like since day one, he had the best routes. He had the best hands. He just didn't have a lot of opportunity mm. for whatever reason, you know. We had AP then, and we had, like, a lot of other guys. But to see him take advantage now is just, like, for me, it's like this, bro, I'm happy for you, you know what I'm saying? And on the field, we're the craziest people you'll ever meet, you know what I'm saying? But when together, it'll be like, we're going to take it one play at a time, you know, just keep focused, I got your back. Like, all stuff of encouragement, just let, you, let your brother know you got him. I think that he would say the same thing about you. In fact, when he talks about you, he says, let that dog out. He That's said, quote, thing. Diggs <laughs> has that dog, and I love that about him. So what is the dog, and then what's the attitude when you step on the field? What's he talking about when he says that? Uh, we, we're, like, so calm, like, prior but as soon as you step in between the lines, he's like, just let that dog out. He's like, give it everything that you got. And, like, you know, let everybody know. Like, Adam has a guy that, he's a guy that, you know, he's quiet, but he has confidence. You know, he believes in himself. And that's what we both do. So when we say let that dog out, it's like, it's, come on, bring your, I ain't going to say bring your best ish today. You know what I'm saying? I, I want to see it, all right? Let that dog out. So the question is, I mean, this guy knew he could do it, but how do you believe in yourself when almost everybody around you, and not your close circle, but yeah. the people who matter, how do you believe in yourself when nobody else does? Because for me, uh, I know how much how much work I put in. You know, I'm, I know how much I grind. I know how much I know what I can do. You know, so for me coming out, it wasn't 
about uh, where I was going to be taking it. It was like this. Was I, was I going to get an opportunity? If I got an opportunity, I would have been fine. I was going to work my way to do everything else. And I, I'd be up at 1 a.m. to 3 a.m. working out. I, I do all that type of stuff. So I know how much time I put into the game, and I believe you put the work in, it'll work out. We're talking to Stephon Diggs. What about your quarterback, Case Keenum? He also was overlooked. He's moved yeah. around the league looking for a chance to prove himself. Again, you're talking about an opportunity. you got to get an opportunity. Yeah. And even if you get it, you have to make something with it. Yeah. Two of you guys were on the same page. I mean, all season yeah. long. How do you describe the chemistry you and he had? It was so different because it was like uh, we've had so many quarterbacks. Right. We had guys go down there to see him step into a role that he had success at because, you know, he leaned on the guys that he had. You know, he leaned on Adam. He leaned on Kyle. He leaned on me. He wasn't scared to say, all right, let me just trust these guys and trust that they're going to put me in a position to be successful. And, like, he, he's a dog as well. You know what I'm saying? He's a, he's a gritty guy, like, you know what I'm saying, chip on his shoulder, and everybody was counting him out. And he went out there. His first game against Pittsburgh, I watched him play. It was his first game, and I know what it's like to play your first game. And the quarterback position is so difficult as is, you know what I'm saying? It's just hard. So I was like this. I know, I know what kind of player he is. I've seen him play. So that next game when we played Tampa, he said, I'm going to show you guys what I got. And he, and he did. And he did. He let that dog out. <laughs> you know what's funny, though? Out. To your point, though, you, you've had a lot of different guys throw you the football. Yeah. <laughs> you got a great take on this. Quote, if we go back to college, there was an emergency quarterback who Uh-oh. played defense, right? You said, quote, I was getting thrown to by a linebacker. I don't give a bleep who's back there because they're all good. So as a wide receiver, how do you adjust to Teddy? And then... For me, uh, I, like I said, I've had a linebacker, so it doesn't get. I'm not gonna say it get much worse because he was throwing me the ball, and I was. We were making it happen, but um, so to have many different quarterbacks for me, it's, it's an adjustment. Dude, at least they're quarterbacks. Yeah, yeah, they're quarterbacks, and and they're better than what I usually have. So I'm down with it. That's funny. At least it's not a linebacker or an offensive tackle. Or D lineman, man. These guys are all quarterbacks by trade. Think positive. All right, so think positive. You're working with Old Spice and their red collection, premium scents. What are you looking to do for guys to help them step up their scent game? What is your go-to scent? Tell me all about it. Uh, It's a new captain. It's new. It's just on the shelf. You know, I think this past week, so everybody go cop it. It's just just an everyday thing in case you don't want to spray on some clone. You smell really nice, so I don't know if you want it, but (laughs) it'll be good for you. So it's just something everyday and affordable. That's all. I can use all the help I can get for sure. (laughs) So how do you approach the game? You're not in the game. Are you the kind of guy that if you're not playing, you're not watching, or are you all about the game on Sunday? I'm watching the game. Okay. Football for me, I watch. I watch it. I don't You're care. a fan. Yeah, I'm a I'm a real football fan. So, and I love seeing good football. And this is going to be a good game. You know, if I hang, had to hang my hat, you want to say uh, the Patriots going to win just because I've I've played against one of their teams and I've seen the, the, the Patriots play for a very long time and how they play and how they manage the game. So, uh, if you had if I had to hang my hat, I would say them. But it's going to be interesting. So, what's the path to victory for Philadelphia? If you had to make an argument for them, what do they have to get done to win that game? Get pressure on Tom Brady. You get pressure on Tom Brady in his lap, not so much on the edges. You know, on the edges, you can step up in the pocket and still make throws. But if you get something in his lap, it'll be a little bit more difficult for him. You know, business is business. It's out of your, it's not up to you. You got a feeling like Case Keenum is going to be your quarterback next year. How strong would you feel that that's what's going to happen? Uh, um, it's kind of in the air, especially in my position, you know, as a, quarter, as a, as a receiver. Quarterback position is kind of, uh, you know, we got so many guys, you know, for it's 32 teams in the league. And, and, it's guys out there that need quarterbacks, you know what I'm saying, that's, tr- that's having trouble trying to find one. For us, we have three good ones. So it's kind of like a, a weird good position to be in. So uh, I'm excited to see whoever we got. You know, I've played with all of them. I've caught passes from all of them. So for me, it's like whoever they pick, I'm going to be excited to work with. But, you know, other guys are going to have success wherever because, they Because, like you said, a linebacker used to chuck, exactly. chuck you the rock, man. Exactly. I got to appreciate it. Whoever it is, I got to appreciate them. 
JLC, Jason Lockenfora. Jason, what's up, bud? Uh, I appreciate it. Real quick, shout out to my little guy Rocco watching at home. He's got the flu. No school mm-hmm. for Rocco today. He's home with my dad, Frank. So if you're going to be home with the flu, you got to at least watch CBS Sports Network, right? And get got a shout to out. Got do that. Got to. Rocco, what's up, young man? The problem with that flu, man, that's not an ordinary flu. No, he's got, and we all got shots in September and everything. So yeah, fingers crossed. JLC joining me in studio. You know, well, on location, I had Mike Freeman on, a guy you know, a guy yep. I'm sure you like. We were talking about the fact that he went to high school and played high school football with Jim Schwartz. Mount St. Joe's, my neck of the woods. Exactly right. So I asked him what he was like then and what he was into, and he made the point that he was all about Judas Priest back in the day. I said, how about you, Freeman? He goes, nah, nah, it's not me. <laughs> GLC, set the record straight. Judas Priest was a kick-ass band, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, I'm more of a, like... Iron Maiden guy. I'm a, I was a little more of a rat guy if we started getting more into Uh-oh. the hair hold, stuff. Hold up, hold up. Rat? Albie, oh, rat with two Out G's. Of the cell- you know it's Stephen Piercy and the boys? Come on. Bobby Blotzer? What are we talking about? You know it. Okay, who else? Born Demartini, I believe, on guitars. Juan Crochet? Crochet, I believe, is, was the rhythm you guitar. If you could, if you could work that beat, if you could work the rock and roll beat, would that be me even more of a dream than working the NFL beat? For me, it would be. Like, honestly because I've done this for a long time and like there's been a few times where through friends of friends it's like hey you can go backstage and meet Slayer and I did and I'm like in the green room like like? it was awesome but I was like these guys are like what are you doing dude like you interview people on the sidelines why just go up to Kerry King I'm like I don't know the protocol like you know are you supposed to talk to him before he does his shot of Jack Daniels after he like I don't know the whole pregame routine like when is it cool just to walk up and then we ended up talking about this was years ago it was back when like McGloin was still the starting quarterback and they were talking it was right around Thanksgiving and they were like asking me who they should put like with their fantasy teams like who should I take this week and you know what do you think of McGloin is he going to stick as our starter but I get like starstruck at stuff like that you know what I mean whereas like being on the sidelines for Super Bowl 50, it's like, well, that's my job. So right. I, I get it. Oh, no, I get that. I get that. And, you know, when you meet somebody you respect or you meet your idol, it doesn't always go well. And not always because of them, but because of us and how we handle it. I've told the story before, but when I met my guy, Paul Westerberg, it could not have gone any worse because I had a little too much to drink. I was yeah. in my 20s. I get backstage because I knew somebody who knew somebody. And I'm looking at this guy, and I walk up to him like I'm going to just dominate the moment. I'm like, hey, uh, bro. Like, tell me this is not just another gig. Like, I've been looking forward to this for six months. Tell me this is not just another gig. He looked right through me, and he goes, dude, it's just it's another just gig. gig. Yeah, anyway, I'll see you later, bro. That went pretty horribly. Yeah, you know what? I should have worn my Matt's uh, sweatshirt. I, I, it's, you know what? I, I wasn't color-coordinated. I wasn't thinking everything I had to do today. But All right, so you did your worn. podcast. You did your podcast from next to the mini golf course. Have you been able to get a few holes in yet? And how's I'm the week going? I'm intrigued by Moose Mountain, I have to say. It <laughs> looks like a quality course. I'm kind of down with the Old West rustic theme. I've played in that genre before, Jim. I have not played miniature golf in Minnesota anywhere, much less Moose Mountain. But I'm tough here track. till Monday. So. It looks like a tough track. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I think the media party is right around here tomorrow night or tonight. So... Maybe after a glass or a bottle of wine, I'll see what you know. See if I can stay under par. How many bottle. how many drinks can I still be under par? Like I don't know. Maybe there's an experiment there. What's your regimen like this week? Is it important to get out there and hit as many parties? No, and press the flesh, or how do you approach it? I'm I'm over that. I'm an old man. Right. Like we're staying out here near the mall. Everything I have to do is in the mall. I don't think I'll go downtown. Maybe Friday, but to like not like a big time party. What happened like, to us? That's not the way it used to be. What yeah. Early to bed, early to rise. I don't know. Like, I'm trying not to get too many more gray hairs. I, Yeah. I, I'm just kind of over that. It, and it's just so cold. You know what I mean? And I really don't feel like jumping in an Uber and I going downtown and you fighting gotta work crowds. It. And you got to work it. I'm like a hotel bar guy now, you know, and a Moose Mountain guy. 
Fair enough, but yeah. not in that order. No, no. Well, maybe. Probably, Jim, yeah, actually, yeah. It probably is the hotel bar before Moose Mountain, if we're right. keeping it real. Good, good. GLC joining us. Let's definitely keep it real. Now, Gronk did not. You were at media night last night. Yeah. Gronk did not talk to the media last night. Do you read anything into that at all? No, I, I don't. Um, you know, their plan was for him to do really nothing physically last week, start practicing on a limited basis this week, and then as long as there's no setbacks, progress him through the protocol. Um, this being the Patriots and them not always, you know, them fire, f- following the letter of the law and them not really wanting injured players to talk anyway, all the more reason just to tell him, well, hey, you're in the protocol, you don't have to talk, so, you know, don't talk. I would think the media will get a crack at him sometime late in the week once he is cleared, and I would expect them to probably run those baselines on Thursday, and if that comes back okay, then ramp them up for the weekend. I would think so. Now, offensively, are you expecting any wrinkles from the Patriots? Yeah. Maybe something up their sleeve that we have not seen from them? I think so. I mean, they generally empty the, the tank right about now. Now, some of the flea flicker stuff we saw last week, maybe that was, you know, I don't want to say the bottom of the barrel, but like in case of emergency, you know, McDaniels press this button. These are the plays we have up our sleeves. Um, I, I think it could be personnel groupings. I, I think it could be you know, a, a guy like a Gillisley or a Burkhead who's basically been along for the ride because of injury or whatever in recent weeks who maybe all of a sudden have a bigger role. I mean, is this the week that Dwayne Allen does something? You know, I mean, he was a talented guy with the Indianapolis Colts. Thought he'd catch some balls in this offense, especially the games that Gronk didn't play um, or when Gronk was injured. It hasn't happened, but I wouldn't rule it out. And even on defense, I wonder about Allen Branch, who was a healthy scratch, but for a lot of the year was their best first down, second down run defenser, you know, the, the best run stuffer they had. Does he see a role because they think, well, maybe with a Jai and LeGarrette Blunt, they do try to run some power on us inside. Jason Lockenford joining me for a few more moments. You know, you made the point that when Nick Foles goes to bed at night, he wakes up in the morning, he knows he's Nick Foles. What do you mean by that, and what does that mean for Sunday? Well, I, I just feel like if you're talking about Tom Brady versus anyone, Tom Brady has this inherent sort of uber confidence, this knowledge that as the stage gets bigger, as the moment gets bigger, as my season is about to be defined by these next succession of moments, I'm going to rise to the occasion and perform in a way in which few individuals ever have in this league, much less few 40-year-old quarterbacks. Whereas Nick Foles goes to bed every night, and he knows that a couple years ago he was almost out of football, and that I don't know if I'm going to stick with the Chiefs or not, and when am I ever going to be a starter again? And he knows... As recently as week 16 and week 17, he didn't look like an NFL starter. And I just think if you look at sort of the, 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 the way the chapters have unfolded in Patriots Super Bowl games, it comes down to the fourth quarter and it comes down to a few key plays, a possession here, a possession there. And they don't always come up the biggest. You know, David Tyree, there's a few exceptions, but they generally do. And I'm not saying Nick Foles will be the reason that they lose, but in the fourth quarter of what will probably inherently be a close game, Who's going to feel like I can't lose? And who's going to feel like I hope I don't lose? And I think that's a difference in mentality and experience. That's a huge advantage for the Patriots. You know, when you lay it out like that, it makes me think of the question I used to always ask Joe Montana. I would run into him this time of year, every year on the row, and try to think of a different way to ask the same question. But the guy literally was best when stakes were highest. He was the most clutch player I'd ever seen, especially with that position. And I would say to him, Joe, can you consciously dial it up in the biggest moments and raise your game up? And he always answered it kind of coyly. But Brady's that guy, right? I mean, certain guys can literally I, dial it up a man. I think, I mean, I've talked to people about this. It's, it's the power of mental awareness, the power of, of, of mental conditioning. It's this 
this ability to when when most mere mortals minds would start thinking of the worst case scenario or start fretting or start going into a prevent mode their mind is 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 just different it's a stone cold assassin it's a i can't lose i won't let myself lose russ i've talked to russell wilson about this and his mental conditioning coach i think certain people just have this innate thought in them that if I do everything I'm supposed to do, it's going to go the way my mind tells me it already went. Because I've already played this out in my mind, and I know the ending. I just have to get there. And I know how to get there. Other people might think they know, or try to know, or pretend they know, but I know. So in other words, you think these guys have trained for that moment. They've learned it. It's, you're not hardwired for it. They've learned it because they've developed the brain muscle like any other muscle. I think certain people probably are more hard, hardwired to it. And if those same people then go out and get nutritionists and... People too, who will massage their body and massage their mind, if you will, who they go get this cast around them of the greatest at what they do so that when they think there might be a moment where I'm not ready, I have someone I can call, I have someone I can talk to. I have people making um, books for me. I have people making PDFs for me, different little teaching tools. I have people sending me clips of what Derek Jeter said about what he did in this World Series, right? Like that's literally what's going on. And, and they're getting themselves in a state where their mind only believes there's one outcome. If I am myself today, there is one outcome, and it is me holding another Lombardi trophy. It could sound like mumbo-jumbo, but these guys believe it. And no, if, it, if it's not, their mumbo-jumbo... Not if you believe it. Yeah, not if, if it works for them, if, if it's their magic elixir, and, and they're you know, beating Father Time every year, well, then, it, you know... So last thing then, have you watched his Facebook show? And what do you think? I have not seen it yet. I, I, I honestly hadn't heard too much about it until these unfortunate remarks um, that some chowderhead made about his daughter, and that's sickening. Um, I don't know why kids would ever come into it. But no, I, I haven't watched it yet. I have not read his entire cookbook or, or his um, zen-like philosophy for life and the avocado ice cream. I don't know how to make that either. The recovery jammies? But not rocking those yet? N- I, yeah, not, not real familiar with that. He hasn't sent me any freebies and I haven't gone out and bought them. But look, I don't know that his lifestyle brand and all that's going to work for everybody. But I do think that he truly believes that like it may help a few people. And this has meant so much to me that maybe it can do the same for others. And, yeah, you could make a little coin along the way, Jim. Jeff Schwartz is my guest. Jeff, what's up? How are you? I've never been called a basketball legend before. I like that. You like that? Maybe yeah. you earned that. You deserve that. I, Palisades High School averaging 6-8 and eight a game is, uh, <laughs> is a big deal. Hey, come on. What was it like? What were you like as a uh, high school basketball player? Um, I was the prototypical tall white guy who didn't move very well. I boxed out extremely well. Hustle player, foul if I had, you know, foul a couple guys if I have to. Um, no one ever threw me the ball. That's why Ghost in the Post was my nickname because I was white and no one threw me the ball. <laughs> Ghost in the Post. All right, so did you find football or did football find you? Football found me. So I didn't play much as a kid. I played some flag football. I was always too big to play football. Huh. Plus, my parents, the Jewish parents thing is kind of real. Like, you know, Jewish parents don't feel like their kids should play football. They're very protective of them. I played basketball and baseball. Between my eighth grade year and the time I went to, to Palisades, you had to, like, sign up for football. I signed up, but I didn't hear anything back from them at all. Show up the first day of school. My math teacher is a JV football coach. And he goes, who are you? Huh. And I said, uh, Jeff Schwartz, I want to play football. And he said, okay. So put me out there. My freshman year was bad. I didn't know what I was doing. Never played before. I didn't see the field. And then just gradually got better. And middle of my junior year, it finally clicked. And that's when my film got good. I understand the physicality of the game because I'm generally a lighthearted guy. You, gotta be, you have to turn the switch to play football. Was, it, was that hard for you to do? Yes, it was hard for me to do in high school and then in college again. And then by the time I got to NFL, I understood what it meant. But you have a game every now and then when you're a young player where you realize 
Like, this is for real. And, and if you even, for one second, decide not to turn it up, you'll get beat. Oh, what, about, what about your brother Mitchell? Did he have the same issue with throwing that switch, or was he wired a little bit differently and ready to go? Um, I think he has probably had that issue, too. We never talked about it. He's, he's more of a technician than I was. I was more of like a mauler. My brother is just a technician. If you watch my brother play, he's a Chiefs right tackle. Um, he's never missed a snap in his entire career. He has that streak right now in the NFL six years in a row, not a missed snap. It's incredible. Um, and he's just he's an amazing technician. He does stuff with his hands that I could only dream of doing huh. at, at tackle. And it's always been easy for him. And, and you know, he played 51 games in a row at Cal, never missed a snap in high school, college, NFL. Uh, he's a beast. What, what is that? How much of that is just good fortune, and then how much of that is just will and grit and toughness? Um, I think it's it's more good fortune, and then just being an exceptional athlete. I mean, he's an exceptional athlete. He's he's flexible. Uh, he doesn't obviously get hurt. So you know, when he gets hit on his legs, like I broke my leg twice, he gets hit in his leg, and he's fine. I mean, it's just it's a little bit of everything. It's being in the right place at the right time. When you have good technique, you're not like in piles, and you're not getting rolled up on. And when you kind of like a mauler like me, you're just kind of all over the place, and dudes fall on your leg, and you snap your ankle. Jeff Schwartz joining us. When you guys were growing up, I mean, were you a couple of brothers that wanted to kill each other, or were you guys close, <laughs> close, really close? Well, we're still close. We're still really close. We talk almost every day. Um, I like we that. were. I was always much bigger than him. Now we're kind of close, but I was much, much bigger. So we never really physically fought each other. We yelled a lot. We played a lot of wiffle ball together. We played this game in our house we called Squish where we played football on our knees. We just, like, tackled each other. I mean, it's like we just were physical of course, the wrestlers were standing up when you guys were on your knees. Yes, exactly. So that's how you guys did it. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's funny you talk about technique because you retweeted a video of Notre Dame offensive lineman Quentin Nelson yes. with the comment, quote, here's the best college OL Quentin Nelson choke slamming and something else on the radio in LSUDL. Savage. This dude is a surefire NFL All-Pro. So back to that original point, when you're looking at an offensive lineman and you're trying to evaluate that player, how much of it is about technique and then how much is about athletic ability and how much is attitude? Well, in that clip, Quinn Nelson has good technique and then he finishes. Typically, if you have good technique, you're able to finish better. And it, it shows. If your hands are inside, if your hips are underneath you, if you run your feet, you often, you often finish a lot of guys. If your hands are outside, your hips are back, you fall off blocks, you might throw a guy down. But, you know, throwing a guy down is different than actually, like, pancaking a dude on the ground. So they all come hand in hand. You can sometimes teach a mauler technique. I'm not sure if you could teach a, a technician who's, who's not very physical to be, to be physical once you get to the NFL. How about leverage? How much of it is just leverage? Yeah, well, leverage is important, but of course you have to like have some size. I mean, I'm six six and a half, three forty. I was never underneath anybody. I just had really strong hands. You make up for it in certain ways. If you're six four and you're playing guard, you have natural leverage. I'm six six and a half. I couldn't do it. So I just had really strong hands. So you make up for the lack of, of leverage, or if you're too tall with with good hands. We're talking to Jeff Schwartz. You also had this great series this week where you celebrate quote the most disrespectful yes. blocks of the week, and then the most disrespectful blocker of the year. First off, what are you looking for in a disrespectful block? <laughs> well, some of the words I guess we can't use on the air for what there's like a classification, but it's like it's just domination. So, you know, you're blocking a guy, you pancake him, you stare him down afterwards, you walk over him, you cut a guy, um, just an, a little extra, right? Playing past the whistle, um, just disrespecting the guy because as an offensive not, lineman, not dirty, no, but disrespectful, right? I have no blocks in there that, that they're dirty. One guy got flagged for a late hit on one of them. I didn't think it was a late hit, so I didn't put it in there. Oh, I, mean, okay. I put it in there. It wasn't I don't have any guys hitting guys in the head. I don't have any crack back blocks that, that are you know you know like Steelers fans got upset. I didn't put Juju Smith in there for knocking out perfect that one. Like, well, what did you think not, when you saw that play? I mean, look, I 
the, the rules are now that you can't do that, right? And that's, I think some guys don't understand because there's a little bit of a gray area. You're not allowed to come back toward the line of scrimmage to block a guy in the head, but you can block a guy if you do it in the shoulder. Like, there's just different things. And in, 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 I just think, quite honestly, the game happens. I don't think it was a dirty play. I don't think a lot of these are dirty. See, I was going to say it that just block. feels dirty. Like I, I understand the rules being what they are. I understand why they're changing the rules of the game. But it, I mean, at its core, when you see a wide receiver light up a linebacker <laughs> like that, did you see a disrespectful block or a dirty block? Um, I think it was disrespectful. I don't think a lot of these guys intend to knock guys out. Yeah. I think it just happens in the process of playing football. And I, I mean, moving to defense, I think it's tough for these safeties over the middle of the field. You know, they're targeting a guy who's jumping up in the air at their, at their gut, and they come down and hit him in the head. I think more guys are leaning on just making a good play rather than thinking, I'm going to knock this guy out. Uh, maybe I'm naive to that, but I just think more guys are just trying to make football plays. It seems to me with the game moving as quickly as it is and you've got to change that target, I mean, you don't want to go high, but you don't want to go low. So it, it's great to say, yeah, I'm going there. But then, you know, like Barry Church, I mean, that shot that he put on Gronk, I don't think that he was looking for a kill shot. Well, I think he was looking to knock the ball out. I don't think he was looking sure. to knock him out of the game. But, you know, Richard Sherman tweeted this out. I agree. If you, go, if you went for Gronk's knees... There would have been an uproar. Dirty. Yeah, that would have been uproar. Yeah, then you're dirty. But what choice do you have? You know, he's fine. Sixteen grand, he loses the game. Um, you know, look, that's a good play for the Jaguars. Though they knocked out the Patriots' best player. I mean, that's part of football. Um, but I don't think it was a dirty hit. I think he, he grazed his he grazed his helmet as he was aiming for his body, and, and the ball got jarred loose. And then we're, we're splitting hairs, right? I think illegal, but not dirty. But it's against the rules. Correct. So he's got to pay the fine. Now you've got this great video up on YouTube through SB Nation, where you explain why Gronk is unstoppable. Yes. I mean, as an offensive lineman, <laughs> what would you do? What do you make of Gronk as a blocker? I mean, we oh, always freak athletically, but as a blo- blocker. I pulled up some clips I found this year of him. He down-blocked a five technique against uh, Pittsburgh uh, to it, who's 300 pounds, just took him right down the line of scrimmage. which is a, another block I have on my video, where he uh, Derek Morgan, the Titans DN, he moves him out of the way. We can have a Titan that can do both. It sets up so much in the, in the pass game. You can move him around. The Patriots do an outstanding job of finding ways to get him in, in single coverage. I mean, they move him everywhere. They shift him. They motion him. They put him in formations. But what's funny is the Patriots win without him all the time. Okay? Right. I, I, it makes no sense. When you, when you lose a player like that, you know, Chiefs lose Kelsey in the playoff game and their offense changes. You lose Gronk and the offense almost improves. It, it's strange, because, but that's Tom Brady, right? No matter who's out there, he finds a way to get them the ball. If they're open, there's a mismatch, he'll exploit it. Now, there's also this notion of these guys keep coming back on guys, and it must be Belichick. It must be that coaching <laughs> staff. These guys make the most amazing adjustments ever. You played the game, Jeff, at a very high level. Are coaches really making adjustments <laughs> like that at halftime? No. Uh, there's not enough time. Halftime's 12 minutes. By the time you run in there, you take a leak, you have something to eat, you know, the, you know, the coaches go in their locker room, they meet for a second, they run out. They don't draw stuff on the, on the ground. On the, it's, you, have your, you have a playbook in for the game. You, you, you typically narrow that down to what you like for the game. And then at halftime you say, oh, wait, this is working, this not. Let's run this play, let's run that play. You're not drawing stuff up. But what the Patriots do well, and, and they adjust it, is they have different ways to attack teams. So in the second half, they blitz Bortles. They, they didn't blitz them in the first half. You know, and, 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 they, and, they, and they start running the ball here and, and doing different things. So they, do, they make adjustments well, but it's not as complicated as people think it is. We're talking to Jeff Schwartz for a few more moments. Now, I mentioned your brother Mitchell. He plays for the Chiefs, and the two of you wrote a book. Eat My Schwartz. Yes. It's the story of football, food, family, and faith. The first pair of Jewish brothers in the NFL since the 1920s. <laughs> when you go back to your childhood, look, you were a good baseball player. Yes. You tried to play some basketball. Did you ever think that you, much less you and your brother, would be playing in the NFL? Uh, never. I thought I'd play baseball my entire life, um, and I idolize baseball players. Now, I like football. I like Joe Montana, Steve Young, Jerry Rice. I was a Niners fan. Um, 
But no, I never imagined that. Even I was sitting at home yesterday, and my kids were playing with my helmets because I, I got this new uh, picture my wife brought in that was all framed and nice. And so I'm playing with my helmets. I just thought to myself, like, I played eight years in the NFL. I was a seventh round draft pick. I had six major surgeries in the NFL, plus another injury. And they make it eight years, and my brother's now played six. Um, it's, it's pretty awesome. Like, how many pairs of brothers? have done this throughout their career, right? I mean, the Mannings, right? The Pounceys, like there's some, obviously, but not a lot. And we did it at a high level for many years. Well, especially parents who did not want their kids playing football. No. You tell that great story about your dad. I think it was your dad who was like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't want him to get hurt. And then I realized it's everybody else who should be afraid of getting hurt. Yes. Yeah. But yeah he told my, my mom was worried. Uh, he was watching a high school game and was worried that I was, was going to get hurt. And my dad said, no, he's doing the hurting to other kids. <laughs> you know, you got a, quite a reputation for being a chef as well. So yes. how is your food game? What is your go-to recipe? You know, I have two young kids, three and a half and one and a half. So it's hard to, like, cook when they're screaming in the kitchen. So I've, I've, my food game is less than just a tiny bit. Um, I'm hoping this off-season when I'm not as busy to, to start cooking again. But I make basically anything. Um, I'm big into steaks right now. I, I do them in the cast iron grill with butter and rosemary and garlic. You kind of pour it over top. Um, I made the shrimp pasta the night. It was pretty bomb. Um, but with, with the kids, though, too, like I try to find something we can all eat because I don't. We're not a family that makes separate meals. Yo, if, for if you figure that out, you'll be the first. What What can you, your wife, and a three year old and a one year old all eat? They like steak. They do like steak. Yeah, my kids will eat steak. Now, my my girl is like me, and she'll just she just shovels the food in. My son's a little more picky, like my wife. They like steak. They'll eat. Um, they'll eat pork. Um, it's a good Jewish kids, and then uh, they'll, uh, they'll they'll eat chicken every now and then. But yeah, a lot of yeah. Like, I'm not eating macaroni every night or pizza every night. I wish chicken I could. fingers, chicken fingers every That's night. Big. Like yeah, but I, I don't want to eat chicken fingers though. Do you? I mean like yeah, kind of. I do sometimes. When, sometimes when, my boys are older; they're 16 and 12. But when they went through that stage, I'd look at it like yeah, I, I think I can get with that. I you know not what every I, night. Are you but. a big fan of now grilled cheese? Oh, yeah. I forgot sure, about grilled cheese for, sure. for like 18 years of my life, and now it's back in my life. Do you have a secret? Is it just basic white bread yes. and American cheese? Yes. or White American, it. white American, white bread, butter the bread, put it in the pan. Tomato soup also or no? Yeah, well, yeah, we have a, a good recipe. A, a buddy of mine, Jeff Allen, plays for Texas. His wife, Marissa Allen, has a website, and she has great tomato soup, so we make the tomato soup. But if we do that, though, then I get like really good bread and really good cheese, and I, I do it up if we're doing the There's tomato soup. There's a right soup. way and a wrong way. Listen, before you go, if you were a baseball guy growing up in Los Angeles, who were your guys? Who were some of your idols? I was a Giants fan. Ah. Uh, uh, so, Barry, <laughs> so Barry Bonds. Why? How did that happen? Should be in the Hall of Fame, by the way. Barry Bonds in the Hall of Fame. Everyone, I got, I got all you voters. 60 seconds. You better vote for him. Why? Bonds cheated. Why should he okay. be in? Oh, my God. Okay. Baseball did not test until 2003, uh-huh. right? They didn't care. No one cared. The writers didn't care. You loved the home runs. Everyone loved the home runs. Bud Sealing's in the Hall of Fame, and he didn't care. Right. Right? Um, if you look at Bonds pre-steroids, we all agree, until 98 at least, he wasn't using. 400 homers, 400 stolen bases, 8 golden gloves. He's in the Hall of Fame. You can have a different standard, I think, for Hall of Fame, for guys who you think use. But also, we don't know who used and who did not use. Right. So we have this weird thing where, like, oh, I don't think he used, but I think he used. Just put them all in. And you can say, like, this guy used steroids, or we think he used. Like, I don't get why. You, all the writers love Barry. They wrote about him every day. They covered him when he hit all these home runs. Um, and so he should be in the Hall of Fame. Greatest player of a generation. Thank you very much for listening, Clones. You know I appreciate you. We're coming to you all week long from the bold north before the Patriots and Eagles get it on on Sunday. Keep coming back for more. We'll see you next time. I'm out. The world is changing at a rate like never before. So why is an education? 
At Strayer University, we make transferring credits simple, create binge-worthy course content to keep you engaged, and design AI-powered tools to help you graduate. Welcome to the future of education. Strayer University, out with the old school. Enroll in Strayer University today and get a brand new laptop to help you finish your bachelor's degree. Laptop offers subject to restrictions and requirements. Strayer University is certified to operate by CHEV.